We thought it'd be fun. We thought we'd be safe. We didn't realize the horror waiting for us on the island. Claws, teeth, screaming. So much screaming. What? Huh? For the vlog. Keep telling your little story. Welcome to Isla Nublar, campers. You are the first kids in the entire world Whoa. to ever experience the awesomeness that is Camp Cretaceous. I don't do well on windy roads. As our first campers, we've lined up exclusive behind-the-scenes tours of Jurassic World, as well as kayaking, rock climbing, obstacle courses, and, of course, real dinosaurs! What was that? Acid out of containment. Repeat, acid out of containment. Ah! We've got a real emergency here. Where is everybody? There's usually someone around. Hello? Hello? We're on our own. Please tell me you have a plan. We'll get south to the park. Hang on! We're a team? Or we're nothing at all. I mean, we're in two. This is what camp's about. Who's with me? This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Hey everybody, it's time for another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. I would say that we're broadcasting live on channel1138.com, but the odds are that may not be happening, and that's for good reason, because we're not actually recording this on our traditional Friday night like we usually do. Le duh, that's because I'm on the program. Hey! It's Zach, and I'm back, and it's been a little while, and I'm, I'm so excited to be on this particular episode, and I'm even more excited that we are going to have probably one of the coolest conversations we've had on this show in the last couple of months, and that's because we actually have a lot of really cool people joining us. No, we didn't get Jake back for this one week. I'm kind of bummed about that, but that's okay. We're going to get him on future episodes. It's all in good fun. In the meantime, we've got some really, really awesome voices who are really, really excited to help us break down Season 1 of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, which, by all accounts and everything that I've been able to see on reviews and such online, been rather well received. And we're going to dive into all of that this evening. But I definitely can't do it alone. I definitely wouldn't want to. One of our previous Jurassic Arc episodes has proven... That I should not do that. 
<laughs> if you actually want to go back into our archives, have a listen to the episode where I try and do an IPC show solo, and I'm reading from both of the books, and you'll know why I'm not allowed to host episodes by myself anymore. So coming in to join me as my co-host, my buddy, my friend, back for more action and a lot more fun, it's Mr. Ben Hart. How's it going, everybody? And how's it going, Zach? Glad to have you back, my friend. Man, it has uh, been been too long. Too long, my friend. Too, too long. And we've got an amazing discussion topic tonight with an amazing cast of voices to talk about tonight. So I'm not I'm going to shut up now and just let you introduce who is on the show with us tonight. We've got a lot of really, really awesome people. Uh present and former 1138 members people who have gone on to bigger and better people who have been on this show several times before and the one thing that we've all got in common is our affinity for dinosaurs and the jurassic franchise and so i'm really excited uh i don't even know where to begin i'm just going to bring in the uh the host of the delayed replay podcast here on channel 1138 please help me give a warm welcome to mr steven schinder Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. And yeah, I feel like I'm probably going to be like the odd one out in this round table because like I'm not as big of a Jurassic fan as like probably the rest of you. But there were some things I enjoyed about this show. So I'm very excited to talk about those things. Oh, man. Mondo, I am not happy with you. I can't read the group chat while we're recording. Gosh, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) audience you don't know you don't want to know you don't want to know all you need to know is that mondo is here and if you ever listen to star wars wastelands you know why i'm not allowed to repeat what he just said in the group chat mondo i'm excited to have you here but my god please try and keep it as close to pg-13 as you can Oh, is that even right. is that even doable, buddy? Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll come we'll come we'll come back to him in a second. He he needs to catch his breath. In the meantime, we have another voice that is joining us on the program. As I mentioned, he's been on IPC before. He's contributed to our top five episodes before. We talk about his YouTube channel all the time, and we're very excited to have him back. It's the Star Raptor himself, Mister Chris Abbott. Hello, everybody. I'm super pumped to be on this, especially for the Jurassic Park of it all or Jurassic World, however you want to call it, because, yeah, I've been a fan of the Jurassic series since like four or five. Um, Real quick, my username, Star Raptor, stems from both Jurassic Park and Star Star Wars combined. I'm uh-huh. a huge wow. Raptor fan, and there you go. It's the origins of, of Star Raptor is because of Jurassic Park. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to get into it because uh, an animated Jurassic World show. Who would have thought? And uh, it's going to be great to break it all down for well, sure. What, what's What's really interesting is I I really didn't have very high expectations for this series because it's animated and because it seemed like it was going to be geared towards you know, a younger audience kind of the way um, maybe something like Resistance was in the Star Wars universe. That That's basically how I looked at this. I thought it was going to be the Jurassic Park equivalent of something like Star Wars Resistance. And boy, howdy, did it exceed my expectations. I, I don't know how the rest of you all felt, but the stuff that I saw from Camp Cretaceous 
was just beyond any expectations I could have held for it. And I was I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw. So I guess that's the best way to start this conversation is just like initial impressions, the things that you kind of overall took away from this franchise. Ben, I kind of had to tell you to go watch this show because it wasn't even on your radar. And you spent this past weekend getting caught up on these eight episodes. What did you make of it, man? And that's the thing with me is that, look, I'm a, I am consider myself a pretty big Jurassic Park fan, more than the average person. And, and it's mostly being in the presence and talking with this guy, Zach Arnold, <laughs> for many, many, many episodes. And it's rubbed off on me just the appreciation of this franchise. So obviously I'm more than the average person. I really, really love Jurassic Park. And, you know, I've, I've liked all the movies enjoyed them to different degrees but still appreciate them all for different reasons but like a jurassic park animated series is not something like i'm not as big of a fan that like oh, i'm guaranteed i'm gonna watch that it was something that i had heard about we had obviously talked about it on the show and it was announced but i forgot completely about it then it came out and again i was like okay that sounds kind of awesome but i probably won't watch it mm-hmm. and so it starts coming around and then all of you guys start talking amongst yourself, talking about how great it is. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Probably still not going to watch it. (laughs) And then Zach comes to me and is like, on on this show, as you guys heard a few weeks ago, is like, dude, this is awesome. You need to watch this. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch it if you make me. (laughs) So (laughs) Literally twisting his arm from 500 miles away. We got the word a week or so ago that, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to actually make this happen. We're going to do a big round table with it, and that sounds fun. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it. It's not because – not that I don't want to watch it, but like obviously I want to be on this show with a bunch of awesome people. So like obviously I'm going to watch it. Peer pressure. I push myself. Peer pressure, yeah. (laughs) So I watched the first couple episodes, and I'm like – Okay, it's it's a little cliche. It's obviously kind of made with kids in mind. It's it's more of an animated show. It's not like generally the Jurassic Park films are like a dark and gritty. It's not like that. It's more cliche. You've got these different character caricature type characters um, that are really fun, but also can maybe get on your nerves at, at first. Um, <laughs> and so I was enjoying it enough, but like I got three episodes in, and I'm like, is something gonna happen here? Because like I'm not really. I'm not feeling this as much as I want to. I'm not seeing the greatness that everyone else is talking about. Then I got to episode four, and every pretty much everything changed. And from that point on, and this was Sunday night, I just sat down and watched them. And I went, okay, I'm, I, I've got a couple days to finish this. So I better just binge them. I'll, you know, I'll start with tonight, and then if I'll watch another few next night. No, I watched them all that night. Binged them all the way through <laughs> the end of the season, and it was fantastic yes and so that's that's my ultimate first impression of this show is that it's it starts a little slow give it a little chance but like many many series before that it doesn't come out of the gate swinging but i think if you stick with it those first few episodes and don't get buy into oh this is just an animated series no this is pretty serious and the thrills are there the scares are there the intensity's there it somehow manages to perfectly replicate the the intensity and the vibe that you get from the Jurassic Park films but in a animated show that is generally made for kids it's generally PG it's not meant to be too bloody too intense it's not even PG-13 like most of the, P- the Jurassic Park films are so like it's 
it's meant to be this thing for kids, but it still manages to pull you in and freaking scare the pants off you sometimes. So for that, I really, really enjoyed this show. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking about it a little bit further. Well, you, you, you're pretty much summing up all of the thoughts that I had on it, <laughs> but um, I probably had too many thoughts. No, 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 no. But that's the, that's the cool thing about this series is it, it, it gives you a lot for just maybe four, four and a half hours of content. Like, if you binge all eight episodes, you're watching maybe like under five hours total of content. But if you, you watch them in that type of sequence, it almost runs like a five hour long animated movie to a certain degree. Yeah. Like, it's extreme. Yeah. It's, it's In my opinion, it's extremely bingeable. But uh, it's not just my opinion we're going to be talking about here tonight. We got other people to talk about it too. Uh, Stephen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss it to you first, uh, just because you said that your your view is probably a little bit different from most. Uh, what was your view, your first initial impressions of this season of, of Camp Cretaceous? Right. So I've quite notoriously said, I think on this show, even that like Jurassic Park, I think is okay. Like, yes, it's a technical achievement, but Blasphemy! I, I don't have the same affinity for it that lots of people do. Um, weirdly, my favorite Jurassic thing is the Telltale game, I guess, because of the experience of playing as the characters trying to survive and there was like suspense there. Right. So Going into this show, I was kind of expecting that maybe I would like it more than the movies, at least, because that's what happened with me and the other DreamWorks 3D animated show, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, where like I don't really have a high opinion of the Fast and Furious movies, but that show is so on point with the humor and like the action and it's so well animated and I feel like DreamWorks doesn't get enough credit with its animated stuff that's on Netflix like Tales of Arcadia, Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts and um, stuff like that um, so yeah I watched this season of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous I did not like it as much as um, Fast and Furious Spy Racers which Weirdly, the premise of that show is kind of like resistance and like going undercover, being a spy in these race, um, like these race things, like with cars and whatnot. But I feel like it does it better than resistance. Uh, excuse me. And um, I did enjoy Camp Cretaceous. Um, I, I'm not sure if I enjoy it more than resistance, but I think what it does better is that it doesn't waste too much time you know like if they had an eight episode season if i remember correctly and they even marathoned them like the day that you suggested that we all do this like um a few days later and so yeah it's very easy digestible and there were some moments that i did like but i felt like it wasn't as suspenseful to me because i was like okay it's following these kids none of them are probably none of them are going to die, but I'm not here to see whether or not they die. Like some of them were somewhat irritating, but there were some good moments here and there. So I, I enjoyed it enough and I would watch season two um, just to see what happens. You know, like I'm not like super hyped for it, but I would watch it. You know, it's not too much of an investment. Well, you're going to be the guy that calms the rest of us down. 
I can just I can just <laughs> see that happening like right here right now. Uh, <laughs> but we need that. We we need like to keep things on the level to look at it for what it is and not just what we hoped it would be or anything like that. So uh that's 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 good stuff man uh we're gonna flip it to the super enthusiastic side of things now and and give mondo the floor mondo what did you think of this season of jurassic world so my initial thoughts were thoughtful oh dear god uh so it's actually funny i i went into this thinking i saw like the first trailer teaser imagery for it. And I was like, oh, look, they kidified Jurassic Park. How cute. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I, I saw it and I was like, it's if if we were talking in Lego talk, those like this show would be Duplos. Like this is gonna be <laughs> nothing worth my while. Um so then a couple of weeks ago, I uh, was over at your place and we had a little time and and you were like, you should really watch this. So we watched the first two episodes mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, man, like the first little bit of the first episode, you're like, oh, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yep. This is like this is like getting like the first. Th- OK, if I can put it into an analogy because I like to make analogies for people. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that. I'm sorry. Alexa just told me to water my plant. Uh, but And uh, that's not a euphemism. That's not. I actually have a real plant that needs real water. Um, uh, but what was I talking about? Okay, yeah. So the first... The first half of the first episode, have you ever gone to like McDonald's or Burger King with a soda fountain and you get Sprite or you get soda and you drink it and it doesn't have the seltzer in it or it's just all seltzer and you're like, what was that? But you can kind of still get (laughs) a little bit of the taste of the soda, but it's like drinking car battery. Um, That was kind of how the first half of the first episode went. It was like, wow, this is really weird, and I'm not enjoying this at all. But then you get to the end, and it's like a huge cliffhanger, just massive, and you're like, oh, whoa, what's happening? I need more. Like, I need, uh, may I have some more, please, sir? Like, you're like that. Um, and then if, and, and then so we we watched the second episode, and the second was like, oh my gosh. So uh, then. I came home, I you know, the within the next 2 days or the next night I binged the entire the rest of the entire season. <laughs> All 6 episodes uh that were remaining. I I, um, I I loved the messages that you would send me because you would basically be giving me like play-by-play updates about the characters <laughs> and about the dinos and I'm like, "Yes, I've seen it." I know. <laughs> well, I know. But, like, I... Okay, like, so all I had here with me watching it was Luna. And she wasn't really impressed. She was like, eh, I'd rather play with this plastic mouse um, and disembowel it. Uh, or I'd rather go and eat your toilet paper. A uh, clean toilet paper. Um, and... Thank you and, for clarifying. <laughs> you're welcome. And so I... 
so I couldn't really talk to her about it. Like, if I had been talking about, like, the new Fancy Feast or something, she probably would have been excited. But she doesn't care about Jurassic <laughs> World yet. I'm still training her you, on that. Hey, you, but, like, you said that she did become more alert when the Indominus was roaring, though. I did. I did. So that was really cute. So I'm sitting here, and the first time she heard the Indominus roar, she looked up at the TV, like, heard it again, got scared, and went and hid behind the curtain. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I, I, I even sent Zach a picture of her cowering behind the curtain. <laughs> It was it was pretty cute and and to me that's a that's a testament to to this show and at least to the to the sound producers like the T Rex roar the Indominus roar there were a lot of replicated sounds that sounded like identical to the film and so that was that was pretty impressive to me. Um, they also used the Bantha sound effect from Star Wars a lot. I noticed. Oh, did they really for the like several for the, of the dinosaurs for the, like. For the, Sinocer- like from... for the the Sinoceratops, probably maybe the Ankylosaurus. Maybe. I mean, I mean, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, they've always used kind of the same sound effects library, so like it's not it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Interesting, uh, Chris, what uh, what were your impressions of this show? Okay, so like you guys, I wasn't really sure what the show was going to be about. Like, who is it really going to be for? Essentially, is because it's like you got these kids and the animation style looks like they're from the Sims, but the dinosaurs look really good. So I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. Like Jurassic Park is built upon, you know, people getting killed by dinosaurs. I'm like, how are they going to do like one of the paramount things that Jurassic Park is with these kids? Like, how are they going to make danger feel tangible and the tension and all that greatness that is Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And well, it it didn't take me long to realize, Oh, they got something here because that first episode I watched it and I think I messaged uh, Dan Grievous first. And I was like, dude, man, this show actually is pretty good. You got to check it out. And then I, and then I messaged you Zach about it um, as well. I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is, they actually are nailing this because I really do like the beginning of it because it shows like people die right away. I'm like, Oh wow. They actually went there. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a, uh, you know, a T-Rex or whatever. And, and, and I like the VR component cause you know, I'm a huge VR guy. So I'm mm-hmm. like, and this just comes on the, uh, comes off of the heels of the, um, the announced Jurassic world extinction or whatever. There's a new VR game coming out. So I'm like, Oh, this is like the backdoor promotion for the game. It, yeah. <laughs> might as well be like, might as well be and i'm like oh this is what this is going to be like and what struck me was that this this is very much in the same tone and theme as jurassic park with the sense of wonder yeah. uh, you know through darius's eyes you're experiencing yes. jurassic world through his eyes and you're getting the fanfare and and all that from john williams awesome score and how it's used throughout the season really adds uh, to that that layer of complexity to the actual show and it just makes it it just felt like Jurassic Park to me I, I I liked how we had these different characters that all had different backstories and it really it, we're going to compare it a lot to Star Wars Resistance because it, it is a lot like Star Wars Resistance in that it intersects with the the different movies and whatnot and I think it just adds to having more layers to these characters than I expected like oh this looks like surface level 
it's going to be just kids out there surviving. Like, okay, like that'd be cool, but is there going to be more to the more to it than that? And mm-hmm. there actually was. Like Darius, you know, his father has terminal illness, and it it shows how he's dealing with that in his own way. And you you have characters uh, like Sammy and all these other these other people that have their own problems, which mm-hmm. it just immediately was like, okay, there's more to this show than what meets the eye, and just the amounts of homages to Jurassic Park, while at times they were a little bit over the top, like, okay, it's like, we've seen this before, let's just show it in again in an animated form, but then again, there's other things that we haven't seen before in Jurassic World, like the kayak adventure, or, you know, the kids ziplining over the Dominus Rex, really cool action set pieces that mm-hmm. made each episode have some kind of engagement you know right at, at certain points of the, of the episode and and i think they did a great job everybody has been saying it about binging it i watched all the episodes and pretty much almost like one sitting because it's it's nice bite-sized episodes that aren't mm-hmm. longer than 22 23 minute episodes which mm-hmm. is fantastic and uh yeah there's just so much dinosaur action in there and dinosaurs that we haven't seen before. Right. At least to the extent that they are featured in this show, which is it's great because we're getting this content as they are still developing the movies. So it's really neat seeing that there's really a Jurassic world universe that's being built that I never really would have thought could have happened, but it, it, it definitely is working. And, uh, We'll get more into it in this in this episode, but yeah, I'm I'm very uh, very positive uh, with my initial reaction after watching these episodes. I I think that is one thing to to piggyback off of what you were saying at the tail end there, Chris, is that in the the traditional Jurassic Park Jurassic World films, it's very centric on the on the T Rex and on the Velociraptors and you know those big name dinosaurs like that. With a show like Camp Cretaceous, you have the opportunity to delve into some of the other creatures. Like, we didn't see a whole lot of Brachiosaurs, maybe a little bit off at the beginning, but we saw more of the Cynoceratops, we saw more of the Ankylosaurus, we saw Parasaurolophus in the kayak scenes, we saw a little bit of the Mosasaurus, which we got, uh, you know, some of in the movie, but probably not as much as I would have wanted, um... And then what was what was the other one that we got? We got some we got some compies in there a little bit, which we really hadn't seen much of since the Lost World. Like there was there was a lot more uh, diversity in the Dino selection, and the big bad wasn't even. I mean, yes, the Indominus was one of the big bads, but I feel like even more so than the Indominus, there was more screen time for the Carnotaur as well. Toro. Right. Like there yeah. there was there was another meat eater that was definitely an apex predator type that wasn't one that we'd really seen a lot of. And so I was I was really impressed by the opportunity that they used to diversify their their dino count and I feel like they did it rather well. What do you guys think? Uh I I did. And you know, I that's something that I really liked about these episodes is every episode kind of like they, they did offer something different. Like everything that they offered was something different than the one before it, mm-hmm. which was previously stated. But every episode also kind of ended on like this moment of, Oh, what's going to happen next? Like what's going to happen. And I really like how, how they gate, like they named the Carnotaur. 
Like they actually <laughs> made it like an actual character. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really cool. One of the other things that I thought was really cool was the callbacks to the previous films. Um, and, and some of them were small. Some of them were subtle. You know, like you had the compi and you had the, the scene with the compi and the electric rod. Uh, you know, that's obviously a callback to the Lost World. Yeah. In the first episode, you have the the sound chamber that he that 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 he uses in the VR game. That is a that direct... was amazing. I yes. love that callback to Jurassic Park three. <laughs> I didn't think yeah. they could find a bright spot from JP three, and then they go and do that in the first five minutes. Like, holy crap! Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think isn't the isn't the game is supposed to be set on Isla Snor- Sorna, isn't it? I I I don't sure. I don't recall. I'm pretty sure someone mentioned that like there's a map of Isla Sorna in the game somewhere. Like that's a big it, reference to the the second Isla, which the new movies really haven't addressed. They really haven't, and I'm super curious about that. But that's beside the point. Yeah, right. uh, but I think more so, not more so, but I think you know I. I just loved all the little callbacks, you know, like you look at the Jeep that they drive or that, that all-terrain vehicle, they took basically what looks like the colors of Jurassic Park 1, you know, the red and the gray versus what we've been seeing with Jurassic World with the blue and the gray, but they modified it a little bit to make it look more of like a camp-like vehicle. They added an axle, gave it that third row of the wheels, mm-hmm. uh, so that way it could be extended a little bit to carry extra people. So I thought that was pretty cool, pretty interesting. Uh, I like, and that's what I liked. Is so they, they named, uh, you know, they, they, they named the dinosaur Toro, which I thought was awesome. You know, gave, gave that some more substance. But they also did a good job of creating new things uh, in the Jurassic World lore. Yeah, yeah. Th- well, there's, there's, there's and, a lot. And what's interesting is I like how they, for one, they managed to take this series and have it, you know, start a little bit before Jurassic World, and obviously there's, there's a little bit of time that passes. They're they're in the thing, and everything's normal, and. I think this show kind of lulls you into like, oh, it's just going to be a fun dino adventure and there's going to be some narrow escapes. It's going to be all fun and games. And then you get to that, like I said, like the, the fourth episode where the Dominus Rex shows up. is like, whoa, crap, this, this is intense. And so I liked that it it kind of establishes that whole thing, but also manages to intertwine the plot of the series with the plot of Jurassic World. We I mean. Yeah, we've all seen the movie. We all know what's going to happen. Yep. But we all know a lot of crap goes down, and the how they managed to like utilize the fact that like for a large portion of the movie, the the Indominus is kind of out there on his own. He's just kind of wreaking havoc. Yeah. Like that's in the movie. You don't know where he is, and they're tra- tracking him down. Well, this is that's where he is. He's in the series wreaking havoc on these kids. Like that's a whole thing. Yeah. So and then you go further, and then like you know that. Like okay, I know where the Indominus is right now. Like he's gone into the 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 the, the Pterodon thing, and he goes wreaks havoc on the things, and and he ends up getting killed. Like we know all that happens. So they take that, and they're like, okay, let's go in the Mosasaur thing, and let's go in here, and let's end up with Toro, and like that's all cool. And giving that dinosaur 
something that we've never seen before, which is like a good spotlight other than Fallen Kingdom, which I assume is the same uh, carrot, uh, Toro. The, I assume the, it's the same dinosaur. The, com- the comparisons that I've seen on, on the chat forum seem to confirm that some of the scarring on the Carnotaur's face in Fallen Kingdom is nearly identical, if not exactly identical, to the like carbon scoring that Toro suffers in that episode. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's got it's got to be the same one. It's got to be the same one. So that's cool. And giving, but not only giving dinosaurs that haven't gotten their due before, like playtime, but also not overusing like tropes from previous movies. Like they go into the lab and they meet, um, Eddie, who, fun fact, voiced by James Arnold Taylor. I'm, I'm sure I'm not, I'm not the only person that noticed that. I love that fact. Um, but they like they go in there and you're thinking, oh, there's going to be raptors in here. Like they go in a building, there's going to be raptors in there because that's from the first mm-hmm. movie. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Yeah. They don't do that. They they don't recycle tropes. They don't go back to say, you know, you get some raptor action in the first episode and that's about it. And they don't like go back to the well on like we've seen raptors chase kids around in a building. We've seen mm-hmm. that a thousand times. Yeah. Let's not go back to that. I appreciate this show. really was trying to expand the horizons of the Jurassic universe and go, okay, let's do something different. We've seen all the movies. Let's go do something different. We've never seen Toro, you know, chase around these kids. We've never seen a whole action sequence based around the Mosasaur, like the Mosasaur's in Jurassic World, but as Zach pointed out, like he's not used very much. This series actually makes it a huge action set piece that they're trying to get away from this thing, yep. and it's great. Yep. Yep. 100%. Yep. And the comparisons that they make, like one of the one of the one of the kids as they're in the lagoon is like it's circling us the way a shark does. Like not only are they including the creature, but they're utilizing modern day comparisons to bring home the the intensity of the situation. Everybody knows what a shark is. Everybody knows what a dinosaur is. Now, you've got a freaking dino shark swimming circles around you. Like Oh my gosh, that is two nightmares rolled into one, people. Oh, it was so good. And it's funny, right before right before this, right before I got on this episode, I watched the opening sequence of Fallen Kingdom. And I'm not the biggest fan of Fallen Kingdom. That opening scene is one of the best Jurassic Park scenes ever. It's 100%. incredible. Oh, yeah. And the 100%. way they use the Mosasaur is incredible. Yep. He's always there, and then you see him, you know, thing, and you see the shadow, and whole, that whole thing is great. But that's, like, the most action you get out of that creature. Like, you don't get a whole lot with him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's he's not in Fallen Kingdom very much. That's, that's the most he gets. So, like, using that as, like, you know, and, and doing it all – while the park is going into lockdown and you're, you're feeling the intensity, you know what's going to happen in the movie, you know stuff's going to happen, and then, you know, it just it, – it really – they really do a great job of, like, building intensity but also helping you understand. It's funny you mentioned Star Wars Resistance. Like, that show, I think, that the strong points of that show is, like, how it links up with what's going on in the movies and kind of, like yeah. – is complementary to it at certain points. Yeah. This one is like straight up, like giving you a different perspective on what happened in Jurassic world. Yep. Well, and that's another thing that I really liked about this show is it's happening simultaneously with Jurassic world. And there are a few shots and there are a few moments that intersect. Um, and they did a wonderful job of showing that and kind of creating this, alternate 
vision for what was happening mm-hmm. during the catastrophe of Jurassic World. Well, and what's funny is, at the same time, even though there are intersects, like, I would say the biggest intersect is when the Indominus comes out of the forest and it runs right past the kids headed for the aviary. Like, right, the kid, the and you kid, have Masrani chasing him in the helicopter. Yes, yeah, Masrani's, Masrani's chasing him. Like, you're seeing the head bop and the, the running pattern is identical to the overhead helicopter shot that you get as it's running through the forest. Like, that's literally a different camera angle from the same sequence. But that is probably the closest we come in this show to having any kind of a crossover. And we don't even see Masrani in the helicopter. We don't see Masrani. We don't see Owen. We don't actually see Claire. We just hear the voicemail in one of the episodes. Like, we come super close to having Zack and Gray go on an adventure with the Camp Cretaceous crew. And then they, like, nix it at the last second. Like, eh, psych, we've had too many close calls. We're not ready to have another one. Like, we are inches away from having two prominent characters show up in the movie, and yet they from the movie, and yet they don't. Like, yeah, and then you, and then like the kids stumble upon the 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 pod that Zach and Gray use in the yes. movie that's crashed. Yeah, and then you know, there's several points where you think like, like the Masrani thing, and like they do this interweaving where you like, oh, is is like I half expected. Chris Pratt just to show up, and it would be voiced by Chris Pratt because he would do something like that. Oh, totally! And he would just show up, and if we'd be, be like, "Oh, hey, I'm Owen. Where, where are you going off to?" Like that would happen, but it didn't. And I'm kind of glad they didn't because, like, I think mm-hmm. it keeps the focus on the kids. Like you've seen the movie, you yeah. know what happens to those characters. Yeah. It's more about okay, what's the perspective of like an average person? Like we see, you know, these big high ups, you know. Claire being like head of the park, like Owen, you know, what Raptor Keepers, like we're seeing their story, but like there's thousands of people in this theme park that are having like a horrible experience and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting kind of the down low and getting kind of even a worse experience in being off on this camp on the other side of the island. And then it gets destroyed by the Indominus Rex and they have to find their way out. Yep. Yep. The, the sea. Oh, go ahead. No, no, it's open to you, man, by all means. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, so, see, the first time I watched Jurassic World was five years ago. It was like a screening in the park type of thing at college. And then I think I watched it again four years ago, kind of secondhand while it was like on the, someone was watching it on the TV or whatever. So it's been a hot minute. So like while watching Camp Cretaceous, I wasn't really, like, keyed in to, like, what moments tie into which moments from the movie. Like, I was aware that it takes place before, during, and again, after the movie. But since I'm, I was so far removed from the movie and didn't have a great memory of it, I was just, like, watching the show as, like, its own thing, you know? So it's kind of a different experience, I guess. Well, but what's interesting is I feel like... Either way, you can still consume this type of media because right. because it doesn't have those direct crossovers. You don't have to have this moment of like, who's Owen? You know, you, you don't need to know that because he doesn't show up. The focus stays on the characters, as Ben said, and it, it, it allows you to just take it for what it is. 
you're still seeing all hell breaking loose. You're still seeing the kids needing to find shelter, find uh, their leaders. They're, they're still, you're still seeing the kids needing to evacuate. And you know that other people from the park are trying to evacuate too. Like that's just kind of common knowledge. You're hearing it on the loudspeaker. Attention, everybody evacuate. Da 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 da. Like there's a lot of things that you can kind of piece together yourself, I feel like, but I do feel like the original movie also kind of enhances things a bit as well. And that to me is the mark of good storytelling, that it is cohesive enough that everything you're watching checks out with the movie. And yet at the same time, it's independent enough that you don't need the movie to be able to consume it. And it's funny, the only character that we get from the movies, correct me if I'm wrong, is Henry Wu. Is Dr. Wu, who who was voiced by B.D. Wong, no less. Oh my gosh, wow. They they actually got him back. And yeah, his his appearance wasn't very big, but it it was interesting to like take a look at his ego a little bit and to take a look at, you know, what kind of research he's doing, his funding, the standard that he puts to his animals. I mean, can, can, can we at least agree in this group that like Bumpy is probably one of the new favorite characters in all of the Jurassic franchise? Oh, yeah. I'm surprised we Definitely went this far without missing him. Jurassic dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, because I, you know, I, at first I was like with some of the kids. They're like, "Leave him! Like he's supposed to be out here. Like don't take him. Like he's fine." But like, the more it goes along, it's like, "Oh, this is a, like a character. Like this is the first time I feel like." we made a character out of a dinosaur. Like always like there's, yeah, well, yeah. you know, they're not, not all the oh, dinosaurs blue. are like fearsome. Some of them are ter- like blue. Yeah. You're okay. Okay. That is completely your, your 100% there. Blue is the first one, but this one is like a cute dinosaur. They managed to like take the baby Yoda formula and turn it into oh, this and also make it a character. Like they're, 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 they're getting in on that thing and making him like where, you know, you, you just, terrified that something's going to happen to you know this guy so i love it i you're right i kind of feel like bumpy's become the jurassic world equivalent to what bb-8 is to star wars when you look at some of the way that I, i and i really feel like and let me let me back up a little bit I think you're going to see that a lot more in season two, where I feel like he's going to be more of like a main character, a sidekick, uh, but also kind of maybe provide some of that comedic relief because of some of the things he may do or some of the things he may be a part of. Uh, I kind of got that impression of him, uh, especially during the end of the, the season. Yeah, and, like, it's funny because in the second season of Fast and Furious Spy Racers, they introduce this animal sidekick as well, in this case, a monkey named Donut. And with these two shows being produced alongside each other, I kind of wonder if maybe, like, someone was like, hey, maybe both of these shows should have, like, a little animal sidekick. And I feel like it works on both shows. Well, let's also... Let's also remember, you know, yes, we are adults and we enjoyed this show immensely, it seems like, for the most part. But the show is 
more catered for the younger audience and having cute mm-hmm. little pets for children is or on shows is not only marketable uh, it's also profitable when you start thinking about you can sell the little plush toys and maybe put them on t-shirts and uh, and merchandising and stuff like that but it also works like you know some of the best movies that I can remember seeing that I've enjoyed the most have that buddy film aspect to it. Mm -hmm. You know, look at detective Pikachu, uh, (laughs) you know, look at, even look at, you know, Ted, you know, kind of had like that buddy sort of film. So I, I understand, like, I actually understand that part of the formula and it makes sense when you bring in or you bring up rather that fast and the furious animated uh, series and you even look at other stuff. I mean, that's pretty much what How to Train Your Dragon is built on. Yeah, or even going like as far back as like the adventures of Tintin with like Snowy the dog. It's just something that people love and that they can relate to, like having a loyal animal companion and having it like um, contribute to the plot. I mean, was was Tintin first or was Lassie first? Uh, so I know that the Tintin books have been around for a while. I think maybe the 30s. Let me just look that up real quick. Because I remember, like, when I was watching TV Land at my grandparents' house back in the day, the whole animal companion trope was a really big thing, especially with Lassie films, Air Bud films. Now we've just modernized it, and instead of having puppy dogs that follow us around, we've got loyal dinosaurs that are following us around, and I think that's cool. Has anybody seen uh, Solar Opposites on Hulu? Yes. <laughs> the uh, the guy who voiced Yumulak is the guy who voiced Ben on this show. Oh. And, wow. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I was like, I know I've heard that voice before, but... Like this is that that to me that was just the perfect voice for the germaphobe. Like I think that's the other cool thing about about this 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 show is you've you've got such a, a diverse cast that is different oh, yeah. that that's different enough that they all you know physically look different. They all come at at this camp from different backgrounds, and yet. Their, I don't know what the what the word is. Their chemistry is such that it all ends up working together towards the second half of the season because they share this common trauma. Like when they when they have the the juice boxes late in the season, they're all kind of talking about how they ended up where they're at, and you're like, oh my gosh, none of you are the same, and yet the thing that you all have in common is that you just had a near-death experience with a Carnotaur near the monorail. Like, Well, but it's, 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 it, it, it kind of follows, you know, brought together by circumstance, mm-hmm. um, bond, but bonded by fate, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that's almost exactly what happened, you know? Like, they, they've all probably, they've all seen the inside of the mouth of a dinosaur together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they, you know? <laughs> I like I like how, you know, the first couple of episodes kind of establishes their camaraderie. They're kind of mm-hmm. getting to know each other. It also establishes that they don't follow the rules, that they're constantly <laughs> kind of getting themselves into trouble. Yep. But I like that it pays off because, oh, like, yeah. 
you, you keep going like, don't guys, don't do this, please. Like, and then when he gets mm-hmm. to the fourth episode, you're like, guys, the Indominus is coming. Like, don't, don't do this crap. Like, don't, don't, don't go out again and get yourself killed. But then like you realize if they hadn't left the compound and gone out to the watchtower, they would have been killed. Right. They would have been killed in the in the because Indominus destroyed the camp. Yeah. So, so if, the only reason if, they survived is because they were in the thing, the tower, and they zip lined across. Exactly. If Ben had actually stayed behind and colored, he would have died. Exactly. Yeah, and you also think that if you know while they were shoveling the dookie, if they hadn't <laughs> snuck off, then later on in the sh- in the show. They wouldn't have remembered. Hey, I kind of know where we're at. Like we have some bearing here. Yeah, right. Maybe exactly. That pays off way. too. Right. You you have so, you have a better idea of where you are. Yeah. So, Adventures of Tintin uh, started in 1929, predating Lassie by 11 years. So mm. there's that. And uh, going back to that scene with like the juice boxes and like where they talk about like, are we really friends? We're just people who like survived something together. Like it's a, that was a highlight of the season for me. Cause it's like, you know, it, it kind of made me wonder, like if, this is a weird comparison, but like in the saw movies, like if there were people who like survived one of those games together, would they still be <laughs> friends afterward? And it's just one of those weird things that makes you question like, when does friendship begin? And like, cause even with like different people and it's like, even with like a shared experience, different people can be drawn together and form like a sort of fellowship, if you will. And it can form like a strong bond. Well, okay. So, but, but here's, here's the other thing. I'm sorry, Mondo. I don't mean to cut you off, but I really want to piggyback oh, yeah. off of, off of what you were just saying there, Stephen. And maybe you're doing the same thing, Mondo. I don't know. But, um, the, the, the bond that you speak of gets tested before the friendship is even allowed to be defined because of what Sammy does to the group. Like she tries to befriend Yasmina in the middle of the series. And then it's revealed that she really did like kind of stab Brooklyn in the back by, you know, taking away their means of contacting for help. And all of a sudden, Yasmina, who has had trust issues going into this, has those issues compounded because the one time she opens up to somebody and tries to form a friendship, it's with the one person who betrays the whole group. Like, even if you're experiencing the same bond, there's not even a guarantee that you're going to form that type of friendship because of how people behave and how those circumstances have shown themselves during that shared trauma. Uh-huh. Right. And I, I like, I like the camaraderie. Cause like, you know, I knew one of them was a spy like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause like that's obviously it's a, it's a Jurassic park trope, you know, going back to the original movie, you know, you have someone with they're, Dennis they're competing. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's, you know, it's a Jurassic park ultimately is like a, you know, commentary on, like science and like going well it's also a, co- a commentary on like capitalism and you know that kind of stuff and like it's there's a lot of like stuff in there and even in this kid show you've got this you know very relatable story i guess you could say about this girl that you know fall on hard times she makes a deal by herself to kind of save her family and you know it does something seemingly heroic but then 
puts herself in a situation where she's trying to make friends, but then, you know, Yasmina is like even more betrayed than Brooklyn is because she spent the whole time defending her and like Brooklyn lay right. off and right. then you know it's just gonna come back to bite her in the butt because you know, you you know the entire time that, that she has the phone. And so it takes a long time. But it's it's great that that kind of camaraderie, like it, it makes a kind of a fever pitch that she kind of reveals the phone. And then they come back around and they're together and then they lose Ben, which was, whoo, that was a scene. Oh, man. Can, it was. Can I, 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 I'd like to back up for a second. Go ahead. But I'd actually like to say that her... Like the whole explanation as to why she was a spy was actually the thing I disliked the most in this season. <laughs> like I, I, and what I mean by that is, and 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 hold on, and and let me explain, because I feel like they they spent a couple episodes, right, and they kind of built her up to be maybe like a villain inside of the 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 group, okay. Uh-huh. But then they kind of backtracked and they were like, eh, nah, psych, we can't have that. And I kind of didn't like that. Like, I really wish they had just, I hate to say it like this, I really wish they would have just let that go and let her be a villain. You know, like, I I know it's a kid's show and stuff like that, but I really wish they would have let that, just let that go. Uh, Um, Yeah, I see where I you're like coming they, from. Yeah, I feel like they copped out a little bit by not allowing that. Did they? Did they but, cop out though, or did they just take her story in a different direction? Because I feel like it didn't affect her depth very much. Like she, she, in, in in my opinion, she became a little bit deeper of a character because in the first couple of episodes. Sammy was talking about how much she loved her family and loved her ranch. And then she uses that as her justification for why she was doing all of these terrible things. Like if you had the opportunity to do something for your family, wouldn't you do it? And I'm like, well, I would like, like crap, Sammy. Now you're making me think about my moral issues a little bit here. Well, that that's not really like that's not what I mean. I mean from a storytelling perspective, right? I wish they would have just kept her the like kept her as a villain, um, because I feel like I how do I say this? I feel like we I don't want to say we got robbed because that's stupid to say, but I feel <laughs> like I, I feel like there was a cooler story that they could have maybe told if I mean look at it this way, right? Like. She is a spy. She is a villain, right? Villain, quote unquote. And regardless of why she did it, like she still did it, right? Right. Um, And I kind of wish they would have kind of just ran with that because then when you get to season two, they're all stuck there together. Right. And and so then you could have had that kind of that that rebuilding process. I'll be honest with you. I almost expected, I almost hoped that she was like a full-blown spy or it was more than just a kid trying to save her family's ranch. Um, and she would have somehow been related to Dennis. Oh, man. That, that would have been cool. That would have been a... Like his, like his granddaughter or something, maybe. 
Yeah, or like even it's like his niece or something, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if granddaughter would have worked. Like, isn't this only? I don't know if he had any kids. I think that gets into the bloodlines trap that like Rise of Skywalker had. Yeah, true. Yeah, and and Jurassic really doesn't do that. Like they go with like caricatures, like you know. Zack and Gray are kind of like, you know, the, the original kids, but like ultimately they're not related and everyone's related to everyone. Like yeah. you're not you're not dealing with, yeah. you know, the, the kids of Ian Malcolm or, you know, all those guys. Like it's mostly just kind of which I, I think is better because Star Wars has been a little obsessed with that lately. And I think he needs to stop. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no. And I agree with that. But I just felt like a character like Dennis, I kind of feel like. You know, that's kind of that would have been kind of out there enough. And if you could have done like a niece or, you know, like a like some kind of tie in, it might not have felt as I don't want to say shoehorned, but I don't know. I just thought that I thought, man, that'd be kind of cool. That'd, that'd be a really cool callback. Uh, I don't know. I just felt like they took that. Like I said, this is really my only complaint with this with this season. Is was that I kind of feel like because I kind of invested this time in being like, oh, why is she doing this? She's ruining this perfectly cool experience for all these kids. Um, and then you kind of feel sorry for her. And I just kind of felt very, I don't know, how do I say it felt very stereotypical in a weird kind of way for a kid's show. And I guess that's why I didn't like it. Like sorry I feel like reset button type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. I can I, like... I can relate. I I do I do like I like what they did with her. I think it's more compelling. I mean, if she was just like, <laughs> I'm going to steal the DNA, and there's nothing you can do. Like she, like she yeah. could have been a villain, like a mustache twirling villain, and it would have been interesting. But I think the interplay between the characters and being where it ends up that. They're all stuck together. They all have to work as a team, I think. And the fact that she ends up very hurt by all this because she didn't want to do it, but she, at the same time, she's a stupid kid and she she does things that are bad for good reasons. And you know that's that's the thing these days. Like you know, we 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 have oh, the yeah. best villains. I think are the ones that are doing stuff for the right reasons, even though they know they're bad. They're still trying to. You know, save their family, save this, save that. Um, whereas she's not in that same vein that she's like a villain, but she is doing something that's potentially bad. Right. Well, while we're yeah, on... I feel like it's almost too predictable. Um, for at least from my point of view, like, like for kids shows, I feel like they always have such simple villains. So I was actually kind of happy it went the other way around because, like, she's gonna have to live with this, and and there's always gonna be contention among. The other kids about like is she oh. is she still on her side is she not on her side so oh. I think it could lead to like more conflict um it's not fully resolved yet man for sure. that scene on the monorail where she gave the toast and and nobody chimed in about being friends forever like I almost threw up at how nauseating that was like I don't know how an animated <laughs> show was able to make something so contentious, but I just, I, I turned my head away in awkward cringe from that sequence. I was like, Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's the most real scene. It sounds so like, real. you know, you could, 
it's because you've like you you felt that before, mm-hmm. and you know you know like you know you have all these these scenes in movies where it's like oh we're a team and we're best friends. And that's how it would go in real life. You'd be like, no, no, no. just because we almost died does not make yep. us best friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it kind of subverts that trope where, like, you know, in maybe other kids' shows, like, they'd go through a problem and then trust one another by the end of it. And they'd be all, like, to teamwork and whatnot. And it'd be just, like, squeaky clean. But here it's like, no, they're still feeling some doubt about the whole, like, team thing you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so while we're on the subject of the kids i'm going to go around the horn and ask you guys who your favorite human character was and then we'll talk about dinos right after that but who was your favorite human character from this season ben Ooh, hi you know what i mean i think i think i like brooklyn just the simple fact that she's like taking that like type of person that we all know that you know this 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 vlogger type not that she's the best character she's clearly like she's clearly annoying clearly you know has kind of you know she's 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 online and famous and she's a vlogger and we all know someone like that we know we all know someone who is you know vlog culture can be very very toxic sometimes we've seen some Mm -hmm. vloggers do very stupid things just for views and like that and she's kind of a commentary on like that type of you know behavior and that type of person that we've seen in real life so i love that and i love the fact that you know she's in this thing she's the only person that has a phone so that's interesting and that's an interesting thing comes up and then you know just the idea of like of course a vlogger would love it at jurassic world like you know that's just another kind of layer to the whole like jurassic world is what Jurassic Park could have become. Yeah, it's what, and it's what Jurassic Park should have been, and it's also what Jurassic Park would be in the modern world. And this whole idea of like, it's so it's been around for a long time. Dinosaurs are just among us; they're just part of the culture. Jurassic World is just this thing that's been around forever, and you know she's just this kind of two bit you know vlogger who's trying to get some views. And oh yeah, I'm gonna go this Camp Cretaceous and. Uh, Vlog about dinosaurs. Um, I, I think it's a it's another kind of layer to you know the commentary that I think you get a lot in the films. Yep, that's that's pretty fair. Um, Steven, how about you? So I thought that Darius was head and shoulders above the other human characters. Like I felt like his whole like storyline with his uh ill father and like their whole bond and their enthusiasm for dinosaur related stuff i thought that was a very compelling storyline mm-hmm. and it made the story feel a bit more grounded and more real and i thought that was handled very well on this season i i really liked the scene where they're looking at dr alan grant's new article online and then getting the matching pair of raptor teeth. Like, that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. Um, Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'd also have to second Steven and say Darius. I mean, he's the type of kid that I would I would be, like, reacting just like him. Like, I'd be, I'd mm-hmm. be studying all the dinosaurs like I used to when I was probably his age. Like, yep. every little nuance. I'd be looking over the park before I went, just... 
criticize like every little detail like oh we're gonna go here then we're gonna go there then we're gonna go over here and do this by this time like i'd be that guy um i just and he's got that courage and that bravery which i really uh admire as well like him just like he doesn't even know these kids and he's jumping into a damn raptor pen to save them like come on here like that's this kid's got some serious grit and uh and like I, I do think he had the most interesting storyline, like like Steven said. So, I uh, I think what I really like about Darius is that we are experiencing Jurassic World through his eyes, mm-hmm. e- even if we're not always experiencing the story through his lens. Although we are a good portion of the time, getting to experience that sense of awe and wonder and excitement and just joy. But also having the context as to why uh, they they wrote his story really really well. Uh, Mondo, who was your favorite human character? So I'm gonna go with Ben. Okay. Um, and the reason being is I feel like you know yeah Darius had a great story, and honestly I kind of and I kind of feel like up until the last couple of episodes it would have been Darius for me but the growth in character that Ben showed yes uh I think that to me was really awesome especially the way that it was Ben that was really into saving Bumpy and kind of took Bumpy in and it kind of had like that kind of that connection right like I know Darius had the connection with his dad and and, and and it would be cliche for me to say Darius, considered the year that I've been through, right? <laughs> but I feel like with Ben, I feel like what what he kind of did and his growth. So he was this very scared, timid kid when it started, and then he was the one that was trying to save this dinosaur. Yeah, because and it was because and I don't know, I can't remember if it was fully explained this way or not, but it was because. If you really looked at it and you really thought about it, like Bumpy and Ben have a lot in common. Yeah. Like they're both not like they're both far from perfect. Not many people like they're not real popular. You know, even Ben, when he heard uh, the remarks that were made about Bumpy when Bumpy was first born, he was kind of like, well, wait a minute. That's that's messed up. Dude. What, what? Like that? That's jacked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of, I don't know. I just really kind of feel like, you know, that uh, I just really got that. And I really like that. And then and then at the end, you know, where it was Ben on the monorail that stepped up to do what needed to be due. And, yeah. and ultimately. Go ahead. No, I was being a jerk. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was Ben that ultimately stepped up and did what needed to be done. And I just thought that was so cool. I thought that was so cool for him. Uh, I thought that was so good for his character, obviously. And I don't know. I just really liked that. And then right after he saves the day, he gets scooped up by a, a swooping pterodon. Like, holy crap. You go from being the hero to... Yeah to a victim in a matter of seconds. And I think that was one of the things that, that this show did so well was the jump scares. 
Some of them you could anticipate, but some of them I was not ready for. And I think that was one of the biggest ones I was not prepared for. I was like, yeah, Ben, he saved the day. Oh, no, Ben, he's going to die? Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> like, totally that, bang, like, bang, what? And it comes in slow motion through the window and then grabs him and pulls him out. And you're like, what the heck? Well, you're that. You're right. And I look, one of the things the show did a great job on, and Zach, you and I talked about this before, is if like it still had the death of a Jurassic Park movie or a Jurassic World movie. Maybe not the same, you know, body count that you might have seen, but it was still there. It was off screen. Yeah. Yes. But you, but you knew it was happening. Yeah, like those those two keepers at the bottom of the watchtower. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> you knew what was happening. You saw Masrani's helicopter explode at the aviary. Like, you know what happens there. And, you know, it, it, there's, this, there's just sequences here and there throughout where you're like, oh, Darius's dad didn't make it. Even though we didn't hear the flatlining sign, we know that that's what happens. Like... There, there's all these different moments where you're like, oh my gosh. And then, literally, right up until the final seconds of the show, you think Ben's gone. And then all you get is that little finger twitch at the end, and you're just like, ah! See, <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I never out of... believed he was dead, personally. Well, I, 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 I held out I held out hopes, but I was, like, on the fence because I was like, yeah, this is a kid's show. He's most likely not dead. But then at the same time, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this show's rated PG. Maybe they actually did kill him off. Like, I would have been fine either way. Yeah, I mean, it was when he – I was legitimately shocked when he fell because I'm like – because it teases you. It's like – He's like the end of that last episode. He's like he's hanging on and he's about to let go, and then it cuts to black, and you're like, "No, what are you doing?" And then it goes to the next episode, and you're like, "Ah!" And then it grabs him with the both hands. It's like, "Oh, okay, this is how they're gonna do this. This is they're gonna save him, and it's gonna be fine. Somebody else is gonna show up." And then they actually commit to it. They're like, "Okay, he's he's fallen, and he's out there." And there's just breath of like, "Holy crap, that happened!" Like. Mm-hmm. That they actually did that, and I at the end of the episode, at the end of the series, and they showed his body, and they showed his, you know, his finger twitching. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But still, for a good portion of this show, if you're a kid watching it, you thought he died. Yeah, like, they committed to it for a good portion. It wasn't like five minutes later they, you know, confirmed the fake out. Like they waited until the last second. I appreciate that. I appreciate the idea of like, yeah, people did die in this show because, you know, it, it's not it, it shouldn't be a huge surprise. But uh, and some of those deaths were like down to like, you know, them like the people like going into the mouth like you didn't see any blood, but like it was pretty intense. And then Ben's is pretty intense, too. Even though you don't see anything, it's still like, well, crap, he just died. Yeah, yeah. It, it really does amp up the threat level and the risk and the fact that these are characters that aren't safe like we we don't know what happens to any of these characters they aren't showing up in any of the movies and at any given minute yeah they could actually pretty much die and i think i I think that i think that is one thing that i like about just anything jurassic related in general you know 
you you go into it with this sense of of awe and wonder like we get with the first episode but then you also know with this nagging thought in the back of your mind that nobody is safe when you set foot on this island yeah exactly and and it it kind of it really puts it like a really interesting vibe on those last that last episode. Like it starts with that, and you know, okay, Sith just got real. Like mm-hmm. this, this is this is bad, and you know, anything can happen. And for a moment, you're thinking, okay, you know, this, these people may not make it out of this. And that's mm-hmm. the whole thing with Jurassic Park. Like just in just the intensity, and you know, the whole idea of like people talk about the, the trivia of like. You know, oh yeah, the T Rex is only on screen in the original Jurassic Park, like just a few minutes, but it's the intensity of like you see rustling branches like mm-hmm. that. It's it's just it's pulling you in and like really like just the intensity and the the suspense. I think this show managed to kind of take that and turn it into something different that was for kids. That uh, kids can watch this and it can be cool and it'll probably scare the hell out of them, but. You know, it's still it's still less intense, but still equally intense. It's weird. It's 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 this kind of amalgamation of the movies, but yet still in this in the in the sense of a four kids scenario. It's it toes well, it toes the line so well, so so well. It does. I mean, and because you even think of the guy, you know, when when they get to the the science center, and it's the oh. guy who it was his birthday, and he Eddie. got whatever. Happy birthday, and, Eddie! <laughs> and and he straights up get. I mean, he gets eaten. There's no, you know exactly what happens to that guy. He gets straight up devoured. Uh, but happy birthday! You're the dinosaur's cake. But you know it. You see stuff like that. But I'll tell you what. I've been doing a lot of thinking since I watched this, and it would make sense. I like, there's a very good way that this could match up to Fallen Kingdom because if you remember Fallen Kingdom you know they're they, they're back on the island for a bit uh, so there would be some more opportunity for intertwining of that you know but in Fallen Kingdom you never see these characters get saved yeah there's like a what a three year gap between Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom something like that yeah it's three yeah. years I just watched it yeah, for the first yeah. time and, <laughs> and that's something else too. Like, yes, we've seen a kid in Jurassic Park three survive an island for a smidge, um, but I don't think it was three years worth. Uh, and granted, he was only one kid versus you know all of these other you know a, a group of kids, right? right? But and these kids are crafty. But at some point, you know, you got to think, you know, these kids in experience and these kids, you know, I, I hate to say ignorance, but ignorance just uh, naturally because they're kids is going to come back to bite them. No pun intended. You know, you just <laughs> have to imagine that at some point they're going to run out of supplies. They're going to run out of food and they're going to become food. And they're going to have to build a radio out of coconuts, just like on Gilligan's Island. They're going to have to do and, something. And the, <laughs> the park, the rangers are like, they were put on the thing, but obviously they're going to go back for them at some point. But like, how long is that going to take? And like, right. it, it seems funny that like, 
they had like, oh, we're, this is a last thing, and then we're just going to leave. Like, you have a theme park, and you're just going to let it go. Like, you have to go back at some point and, like, get it under control. Like, that's kind of crazy. Not, not to get away from the point too much, but talking about the future real quick while we're mentioning, like, times and all that, I think, uh, well, we know it's going to season two and all, so that's that's great news. But, yeah. like, I think there's there's potential here for them to go to like what is there like five islands in Jurassic in the Jurassic Park world? It's, a, it's like an that. archipelago, yeah. I want to see them go to Isla Sorna. We mentioned it before, but let's say they have to go somewhere to send out a signal. There's not, they have to go to another island, whatever reason. I think there's so much potential for them to just go to different locales, and, and that'd be great to go back to Lost World. Wouldn't it be interesting to go to Site B, and you go from running away from the Indominus to running away from the Spinosaurus? Oh. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I didn't care much for the, the puppet from JP3. Like it just it wasn't as intimidating for me, but if you it looks like a puppet. <laughs> if you if you animate that sucker, like the Indominus looked really good animated. Let's be honest. I think all yeah. of the dinosaurs looked really looked good. Great. I think yeah. I think they did a lot of work in like because obviously like the humans stuff like that they look pretty good, but like they're obviously animated or whatever. Like the, all the, the dinosaurs, like the details on them, and like they put really a lot of detail in the skin and the, in the scales. Like it mm-hmm. looks really really good. You know what it kind of reminded me of? It reminded me a little bit of The Good Dinosaur. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, I didn't think it was as bad as people say it is, but it's not one of Pixar's best. It I, is, I do think it is bottom, um, it is bottom some of five the animation Pixar movie. is good, but I'm not a huge fan of the dinosaur designs in that movie. Well, that's the point. Is I was flabbergasted, and this is one of the many reasons why I consider it a bottom five Pixar movie. But I was, I, it, oh, dude, there are so many movies. This is right down there with, like, Cars 2 for me. I, I can't stand this movie. <laughs> but one of the things that always baffled me about that movie was how intricate everything in the scenery was in Good Dinosaur. The trees, the rivers, yeah. the mountaintops, the sunsets. Everything in the background looked amazing, but the main characters looked like they were drawn with Microsoft Paint. They looked like Play-Doh. They really did. They, they, they did not look like they belonged in that scenery. And you invert that in Jurassic World, where the dinosaurs look really, really good, but as somebody mentioned earlier, the kids looked like they came straight out of The Sims. So, like, it, it's it's an interesting paradigm that you, you've got these obviously animated kids, but really, really well done dinosaurs, and they still end up playing off of each other rather well. And while we're on the subject of dinosaurs, I want to go around the horn and ask people who their favorite dinosaur was, or what dino appearance. And I don't think Bumpy is allowed to count, because we've kind of included Bumpy amongst, like, the characters. Damn it! Yeah, I know. You gotta Dang. pick. You, you gotta pick a dinosaur. Now I have to think of something else. <laughs> Toro, Toro is allowed. The Indominus is allowed. But like, I, I'm I'm really curious which one you enjoyed seeing the most. Uh, Mondo, I'm gonna give it to you first. You know, mine was Toro. 
you know, Indominus, you knew Indominus was going to be there because if it kind of followed, well, you didn't know it was going to be there, but if you followed, if it followed the storyline of, then it would make sense for to, to be a threat, right? But Toro, to me, was the surprise. And it was so cool to see that dinosaur get get some love on me. Because, I mean, I think the first time we saw that dinosaur was JP3. Um, and it had dropped a giant turd or a bunch yep. of crap. And they were pulling a phone out. Was that, was, a, a was, that a carna- was that a Carnotaur or was that an Allosaurus? Oh, it might have been my, an Allosaurus. I'm pretty sure I heard Allosaurus. somebody say there was a there was a Carnotaur somewhere in JP3. He just like showed up and they maybe it was an Allosaurus. I don't know my dinos, so don't listen to me. I I always I, thought it was a Carnotaur. I for I don't. What's the difference? One has horns, one doesn't. Uh, I think it has to do with the horns and the length of their arms. I think the Allosaurus has longer arms than I'll, the Carnotaur. I'll go look it up right now and I'll give you the conclusion in a second. Keep going. Uh, I'm looking to. Um, but I, I just really liked that. You know, I liked that it was something different. It was something fresh. And that's something that we have talked about a little bit tonight is uh-huh. we liked the difference in some of those particular things. And, you know, quite frankly, I like that. I like seeing different things. You know, Ben's point earlier was they didn't just use the same tropes that we have always had before. And I like that they did different things. Like, it would have been really easy for them to make the additional threat be the Raptors. We've always seen the Raptors. It's always been a threat. Uh, Especially these particular Raptors, because we all know Blue. Right. No, we all all know the character names. It would have made sense. But they didn't. They created a whole other character. And it kind of even... I'll even take that a step further. And say that now we know that the Raptors, you know, Blue, Delta, you know, those, you know, the, those, those characters, there, those weren't the only dinosaurs that they named in in Jurassic World. They've been naming other dinosaurs based on other things. So that's something else that stood out to me. Is okay. So they. So what other dinosaurs have they named around here? Right. Well, and they mm. were they were looking at naming one of the dinosaurs after Kenji, apparently. <laughs> he was like, uh, no. I'm He's gonna... like, no, thanks. He's like, I'm going to hold out for something cooler. I'm like, what is cooler than a, than a freaking dinosaur? Okay, so the one that shows up in Jurassic Park 3 is actually the Ceratosaurus. Really? Oh. And it's a medium, medium-sized medium carnivore that lived at the same time as the larger Allosaurus in the late Jurassic period. So the Ceratosaurus Ooh. was the one that we saw next to the poop. The, uh, the Carnotaurus was actually created for JP3 and then was cut from the film. Okay. They were also going to have a Mosasaurus in Jurassic Park 3, and they ended up cutting it as well. Man... The more I keep hearing that got cut from JP3, the, the matter I am. <laughs> you know what? I, I I would be there with you if JP3 didn't have such a low production budget. Like the only thing I remember really? what about was it? JP3 is that like a kid watches Barney the dinosaur on the yes. TV at some point. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, um, Dreepy Three is a is a real bleep show. Yeah. Um, literally from beginning to end because like they they apparently they like had note or like they completely rewrote the script like oh, first really? things. Like they were gonna, they had a shooting script, and then they like threw it out on first day of shooting, and like started new. Like it's just, it's nuts. Like if you ever get a chance, just like look up like you know a video essay on like the breaking of that movie. It's wow. crazy. Wow. Okay. Well, I shouldn't be shooting off of the hip like I am right now because of the first three films, Jurassic Park three actually had the largest budget. <laughs> Probably because they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. Wow. Well, but. Well, yeah. But how does how does the how does the budget number compare to inflation going like looking back at the other films? I, I'm not I'm not adjusting for inflation. I'm just looking off of quick Google searches. But the original Jurassic Park had a budget of sixty three million. The Lost World had a budget of seventy three million. JP three had a budget of ninety three million. I I really do like Jurassic Park three at certain times of the movie. Like for instance, uh, when they go and they dis- they they discover the InGen facilities and there's like the embryos of the mm-hmm. raptors or whatever. That that's a really cool moment. I love the Pteranodon moment where the they're in that the are they in the bird cage? Yeah, they're in like the bird yep. cage and they're like paragliding yep. around. I think that was really cool because I'm just a big fan of Pteranodons. So, <laughs> well, and and the. What what's funny is we mentioned this during one of our previous Jurassic Park discussions years ago. There are sequences from the original Jurassic Park book that don't end up in the final cut of the movie that do end up getting used in some fashion in Jurassic Park 3. So it does have some redeeming qualities if you understand oh. the connections between the book and the movies. For example, the aviary. They actually have an aviary sequence in the book for the original Jurassic Park where... Alan and the kids actually end up going through the aviary and having a similar harrowing experience to what you see in JP3. And then there's a river sequence in the book involving a juvenile T-Rex that is swimming through the river and chasing them down river. And it's very reminiscent of the river chase scene that you get in Jurassic Park 3. So there are there are some sequences that kind of and if you you want a a full complete fantastic breakdown of all the scenes and and how they relate to the books go listen to that episode of ipc that zach keeps telling you not to listen no, to. no for the love where he is solo and he talks about the book for the love go of, listen to it for the love of god do not listen to that episode <laughs> like there are these really long awkward pauses that at the time i thought were like a pause for effect so that you all could like take in the words that i had just read out of the book to you and instead, it's just this silence that is so awkward. <laughs> so I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Ben. I'm going to challenge you to something. All right. I'll accept the challenge. Okay. I will not send you nudes if you post a link to that episode somewhere on social media. That. <laughs> That's a deal. That is, That's a deal. That is, I, I don't. I, I, I'm sorry, Zach. This is this has <laughs> gone beyond you now. What the? He's threatening me with nudes. What? How? What? How did we even get oh, here? I thought he said news. I didn't know he said nudes. Uh. <laughs> oh. Dudes. Oh. This is, out of my, this is out of my hands now. I've been threatened. Oh. 
with weapons oh. of, of mass destruction. Oh, no, 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 my fat ass, they're weapons of ass destruction. Oh, God. Let's take a pause here for just a second. We need to do an We need we need to do an we need to do an ad break anyway. So we'll be back in just a moment. This is IPC. Hello there, Intergalactic Peace Coalition. This is Dan Grievous, coming to you with a message about the incredible series Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Now, this show was better than I expected, and I'm so happy that it exists, because I would have loved this as a child, and I cannot wait for season two. But I have a few things to say about season one. My favorite dinosaur moment from season one has to be from the last episode. You know, the one when everybody's arguing about the combies, and then there's that awesome shot from the faces of the combies who just turn around, and then there's Toro, menacing and scary. On the human side of things, I found Darius to be the most enjoyable and relatable, and I love what the show did with him. I do have to give props to Camp Cretaceous for beautifully and respectfully tackling the death of Darius' dad. The scenes with him felt very real, and usually this franchise stays away from this kind of stuff. My favorite season one moment has to be in the cave with the rafts when the group spots those awesome-looking bioluminescent parasaurolophuses. Because this moment actually builds upon something that was discussed in the movies about all those other animals that were spliced in in the creation of the dinosaurs. This was one of our main ooh, ah, ee, oh, ah, before there was screaming moments from season one. Because, speaking of running, the moment that made me gasp was when the park rangers were eaten by the Indominus Rex. And it's not because they got eaten, because I was expecting at least somebody to die in this first season. Like, you hear the crunching, the death sounds, like the, the, the chopping. I didn't expect it to be so visceral. My favorite thing from the movies that ties this series to the overall franchise is the monorail. Because we've seen this thing transport people in Jurassic World and some wreckage of it in Fallen Kingdom. But we finally see it in action. Well, sort of. It was used in an awesome set piece in the unsuccessful escape of the kids from Jurassic World. We shall see what happens to them in Season 2. And I cannot wait for that to arrive. And, uh, but, uh... Colin Trevorrow and his team will find a way to sneak in some nods and maybe teases for Jurassic World Dominion. Thank you very much for having me. Dan Grievous, signing out.
Alright, we're back. A shout out to the folks who support IPC specifically, including Joey Mays, Ryan H1152, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Carrie Fleming. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, then visit us at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. That's pod like podcast, bean like green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. We've also got our entire library of episodes there, so you've got to be a subscriber if you want to listen to episode 20. That's that books episode that Ben was talking about where... I made those connections and the similarities and differences between the movies and the books. That's episode number 20, and you can find that uh, as well at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Find us on social media as well at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to hit us up with some of your answers to these questions that we're posing to the roundtable folks, uh, including who your favorite character was and what your favorite dino was. We were in the middle of that question when we decided to take the ad break. Mondo mentioned Toro as his favorite character. Ben, I'm going to throw it to you next. Which was your favorite dino appearance? Ooh, I think it's got to be the Mosasaur. I think, you know, just piggybacking off of what we were talking about earlier about how they used it so well in this in this more so than they have in the entire franchise thus mm-hmm. far, I think it was really good. Just that whole sequence is super intense and in how they just – it's just – amazing like you know how they're you know it just goes from one level to the next to the next and it's also a great character moment for yasmina because she's kind of you know she she ends up as a big hero moment and then for a split second there i thought for sure the thing was going to eat her so like i was like okay we're gonna have like another death on our hands so uh yeah that was that was intense and great and just uh, just one of the most unique dinosaurs i think that uh they use really really well I would agree. I wasn't sure how they were going to include it, but I was really, really hoping that they would. And then they did that, and I was just, I was so happy. So, uh, Chris, what was your favorite dino appearance? All right, my favorite dino appearance was the Compi. Uh, I have a, a nostalgia attached to that that darn dinosaur since uh, I remember seeing the Lost World in theaters. Yeah, I was like seven at the time, and. <laughs> That dinosaur always stuck with me that the first scene of Lost World, the, the little girl's on the beach and mm-hmm. she's strands away from her family yep. and the horror strikes. Um, so there's really a lot of a lot of sentimental stuff attached to the copy. I always I always was a big fan um, of the copy and to actually see it come back for like the first time since Lost World. Right. We haven't seen them in a long, long, long time. So. And then they even have one of the best comedic moments where you think it's like a raptor around the corner of the shadow, and it's just a copy. It's like, yes. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. The way that they're able to combine the intensity with the uh, with, with with some comedic relief, I really really enjoyed that. Like when all the kids get into the van and all six of them sit in the back seat, and then they look up the front, and like, does anyone know how to drive? Like, like, that's exactly what all of these young teenagers would do is like wait for somebody else to get behind the wheel and it's like oh crap nobody knows what they're doing well we drove around in a gyrosphere that's pretty close right uh no (laughs) and and i'll say that's that piggybacks exactly on what i was saying earlier about the future and I don't like I don't know how these kids are gonna survive. <laughs> right. 
like the power of television that's how that's i mean how did the cast of gilligan's island survive on coconuts and fish for as long as they did i'm just just put just exactly just putting that out there um I, I think I'm going to echo what, what Mondo was saying uh, before we went to the break, was how they, they took a rather unknown creature like a, a Carnotaur and turned it into the big bad. Like, yes, you have really intense sequences with the Indominus, and I think one of my favorite scenes in the whole show is with the Indominus. But I love that you end up facing Toro multiple times throughout the course of this show. You've got him at the monorail, you've got him in the in the tunnel... And then you've also got like the the chase scene in like the second episode or the third episode where they're trying to get away from him because they're on the wrong side of the fence. Like there are multiple times where a a Carnotaur is a is a apex predator. He's not the apex predator. He's obviously smaller than the Indominus and the T Rex, but he's bigger than these kids. And so you, you've got this nice balance of having a legitimate threat without following the stereotypical tropes that you do in the Jurassic franchise. And so, yeah, I, I would probably say Toro is my favorite, but a very close second would be the bioluminescent Parasaurolophus. Oh my gosh, that was a gorgeous sight to behold. That was probably one of my favorite pieces of animation in the whole show, was that tunnel sequence. It was gorgeous. Okay, so we're going to talk about favorite moments, and it can be either just a, a, a favorite general moment that made you smile, or your favorite most intense moment that uh, that that really really stood out to you that really got to you, uh, Chris. I'm going to give it to you first. What was your favorite moment from this season? My favorite moment was actually from way at the end. Actually, they they're approaching the dock. You know, they they think they're going to get out safely, and there's nobody left. And it's like, wait a minute. I was hoping for something like that to happen because, like, I really don't want this to be a standalone season of TV. Like, I feel like they had potential after watching those previous eight episodes. Like, oh, they could really get into something good here for yeah. a long-running series. Yeah. And, well, the seeds the seeds were laid, and I was like, I'm not really surprised that happened, but I'm also very, very happy that they set it up very nicely. Like, oh, my gosh, these kids are stuck by themselves on this island, like, this is the worst case scenario. There's no adults around that we know of. I, I can't like, believe screwed. I can't believe that the kids didn't recognize that though, because it's the middle of the night. Like it's after sundown when they say that the last ferry's departing in ninety minutes, and then when they blow the hole open in the tunnel, there's daylight creeping through. As soon as I saw the daylight, I was like, Oh, that ship's long gone. And then they get out there and I was <laughs> like, uh, yep, it's daytime, kids. You've been fighting this dinosaur for freaking hours. Of course there's not a boat still waiting around for you. Like, it was kind of a no-doy moment for me, but it was also a very gratifying no-doy moment. Because I'm like, oh, yes, those kids are stuck here. We're getting another season. <laughs> like, I was rooting for the kids to get stranded, basically. And then it happened. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's that's, that's... selfish enjoyment. I'm like, I want them to suffer on the <laughs> island so I can watch more of it. Hey, kids, I know you've been giving yourself hope about escaping all this time, but screw you. I hope you stay. <laughs> but, like, I was thinking that entire, like, last moment, like, I think before they have the final fight with Toro, it's like, oh, we're leaving in, like, 25 minutes. I'm like, 
it's been longer than 25 minutes. Yeah. Like they're never going to make it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, it's a TV show and they always put time limits on there, but like mm-hmm. it, they'll make it, they'll make it. No, they didn't. No, and, they don't. Uh, you know, that I, I like the, the, the that... realism of like, they gave you a time limit. They didn't make it because realistically they were never going to make it. Mm-hmm. And there's consequences for that too. Like that's another one of those breaking the tropes where a TV show puts you in a time constraint and you usually just barely make it at the last possible second. They broke that trope in this show because they didn't make it and now they're stuck there. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm with you, Chris. That that's one of my favorite moments. Uh, Mondo, what was one of your favorite moments from this show? So I'm gonna piggyback on that and say that moment where they missed the ship, and and it's because you know, look, you know, television shows, especially kids shows, I always feel like they have a somewhat happy ending, and and this might eventually have a happy ending, but you got to that and you're like, oh boy, like yeah. they. This is, and and this is gonna be the stereotypical one, but it was very Empire Strikes Backish. Yeah, it was like this is not gonna end on a happy note. Uh, this is gonna end on a very unhappy note for these kids. Like they're stranded. Like as far as we know, there's no there's no adults there. I mean, we don't know for sure, but they were just straight up abandoned. Um. Uh, oh boy. Well, and here's here's the other thing that I find really fascinating is even with the Indominus dead, these dinos are now loose on the island, and that includes Rexy. So yeah. we go, we go, we haven't f- seen her yet. Have we, we, we see yeah, her, we, we, we see her foot basically in the season two trailer, but aside from that. There and has, in the opening, I guess the, the opening scene. Yeah, the little the little opening intro thing. Yeah, where she breaks through the the doorway or whatever. But I think that's fascinating that this season we get to see the T Rex become the thing that the kids have to run away from. In addition to all the other stuff, but uh, I'm I'm excited for season two. Uh, Stephen, what was what was your favorite moment or your favorite takeaway from from this first season? So I mentioned it earlier already, but my favorite moment has to be the, like, you know, when Sammy's wondering if they're all friends and they're not right. sure. Right. Because up until that point, I was, like, watching through the show, and I was like, yeah, this is this is somewhat interesting. And then I got to that scene, and I was like, oh, that's pretty real. This is a really good scene, mm-hmm. really well written. So, mm-hmm. like, like, that scene really sticks out to me and like I'm glad that there are at least a couple scenes um that really stick out in the show and made it like worthwhile you know so that that has to be the moment for me it's a it's a good moment that's a really really compelling scene and I think that's one of the things I like about this show is the the writing that particular sequence was really good and then Eddie had a really good line when they were with him at the at the uh, the lab where he says Jurassic World isn't a park, it's a powder keg, and it is detonating all around us. Like, oh, very, very ominous, very, and it like it it like shocks them, like holy, holy crap, like mm-hmm. you know, and they're basically it's kind of this wake up call reality for them that we we all know, and anybody that, that's watching these movies realizes, yeah, this was doomed from the start. Yep, yep. 
Bear, what was your favorite moment? Oh, is it me? It is to you. Ooh, okay, okay. So biggest moment, and probably the moment that made me gasp the most is the Ben, quote-unquote, death scene. I think that scene, because it came out of nowhere. Because it's like this whole thing where they set it up. It's like, oh, yay, Ben's having this hero moment. This is great. And Ben's, you know, had this great character arc where he, you know, he's this, this wimp, this guy that honestly, you know, I'm not just saying this because we share the same name. <laughs> but I would literally be that guy. I would be the nerd that's like terrified the entire time and using hand sanitizer and gallons. Um, so like, you know, that that would be me. But like him having this hair moment, which I also would ha- have a hair moment just for the record. I would oh, absolutely save everyone. Totally. Um, no, I wouldn't. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I love – that you know they set it up on yay ever he saved everyone no he didn't and then just comes in slow-mo grabs him yanks him out of the thing and they're like oh hang on hang on no just this moment of intensity like what the actual bleep just happened Mm -hmm. and i love it Mm -hmm. It, it's it's and and what's funny is they leave it at, at that that's the end of the episode and this show, even though it's highly bingeable, imagine if these episodes had released week to week. Can you imagine waiting a whole week to find out what happens if the show ends on that type of a cliffhanger? Like, no thank you. Yeah. No yeah. no thank you. Can you imagine this being a weekly show? Like oh. a show that was like, you know, released one week at a time? Oh, like man. some of these cliffhangers would have been insane. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what. This is the show I wish I had as like a nine year old. You know, this is exactly what I would love to watch. Mm. Drive my mom and dad insane by watching it on repeat every day. Like yep. <laughs> as many episodes as I could get through. I, I would probably have memorized like every damn piece of dialogue. And then the fact is, every time I go into Walmart or whatever store has toys, they have end caps of Camp Cretaceous. And I'm like. I would totally have every one of these toys if I could if I could have one at that age. I, yep. that, that would be Christmas this year. Yeah, would be like a couple hundred dollars of Camp Cretaceous toys. <laughs> oh, easily, easily, Mondo. So, I don't, I don't, I don't think I even told you this yet, Mondo. But I just bought, um, what was it? Shoot, um, I bought Squadrons the other day for the PS4 yes. because I got the VR headset. But then uh, I went on Amazon Prime and I found out that uh, Jurassic World Evolution was on sale for twenty nine ninety nine. Oh, I've got that on my Xbox. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that has a uh, VR mode. I hope it does. I don't think. I, I don't think it does. No, but it, that's okay because I got it for the one anyways. Oh, okay. Yes, it's so good. Um, I love Jurassic World Evolution. Um, it is, it is the park simulator that I've always wanted for, uh, I mean, it's not quite as good. I, okay. I lied. I don't think it's quite as good as Jurassic park Genesis operation Genesis. Um, but it is a really close second, especially, well, especially the Jurassic park expansion where they go back to the Island mm-hmm. and they're trying to reopen it. So I still would like a a a Jurassic Park meets maybe like Red Dead Redemption type of story where you spend the first half of the game building your park and then 
you have some sort of unforeseen circumstance that arises and all hell starts to break loose. And the second half of the game is you trying to escape from the park that you just built. That would be cool. And basically the more intricate and the more elaborate your park is, the more complicated it becomes for you to escape. Oh, it got to the point in Jurassic World Evolution where around, because I have uh, some raptors and some carnotaurs in, in one of the parks. And I got to the point where on all my carnivores, I was making two gates that went around it. I would have Jeez. like one like one gate and then I would have a second gate. And then even like I, you would have to craft the entrance and the exits exits correctly because there were a couple of times I would send my people in there to feed or to replenish the feeders and they would get out through the door. <laughs> oh, crap. So oh, I, I actually had to set it up to where it was like a two gate entry. Um, so that way, if the Carnotaur got out of one or, you know, whatever, then there was a second one. Kind of like kind of like those double doors at the aviary at the zoo where you have to let one door close before you can go in and feed the birds. Yeah, exactly like that. Yep. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, for so while we're on. Whoop. I'm sorry. Go ahead. While we're on the aside real quick with, with Jurassic World slash Park video games, I found out the title of this Oculus Quest game coming out. It's called Jurassic World Aftermath. And it's more of like a a cell-shaded type of, you know, um, animation, which is good for the Oculus Quest because it's not as high-powered as like a PC or an Xbox One or whatever. But... You basically spend the entire game survival horror, as you were kind of referencing, Zach. Um, and and the mission is to just like hide from Velociraptors, but it but it looks absolutely terrifying because like the the, the person playing the game like runs into like a room, I guess, in some kind of laboratory, like gets underneath of the table to hide in VR, and you're like you look around and you see like the freaking clawed foot of a velociraptor. And it's just like this absolutely like terrifying moment. And the whole game is basically that. And it's strictly Oculus quest. Yeah. And, and another aside real quick, I, I got recently the Oculus quest Two, and on it, they had a free like demo to show off. Like if you have friends or family, like this would be the thing to show them. They basically have the Jurassic world experience. They have one, with um, I forget the exact species of dinosaur, but it's a long neck dinosaur. And you basically you stand stationary. You do not move, although you can like rotate 360 degrees in VR or whatever. And you, you see the, the dinosaur come up close to you. It's, it's really, really cool. But the one I really enjoyed was they had another experience, which actually you follow Blue the raptor around. And what happens is he like the volcano erupts and it's all real life looking graphics which are incredible and you actually see like a little tr- baby triceratops like kind of fighting against the raptor and you're like right up in the action and at one point the t-rex shows up and it roars in front of your face with its mouth open oh, and i wow. literally screamed i literally just like i feel like <laughs> i'm about to get eaten by a dinosaur because it was that realistic well, Mondo can attest that I almost threw up when I tried the tutorial for Squadrons the other day. 
<laughs> like oh, VR, VR is super impressive these Dude, days, man. Isn't it so cool? I play that game in VR as well. It's amazing. I I am really looking forward to whatever Jurassic type of VR I can get for my PS4 whenever that becomes available. Because I am all over that. Just no questions asked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. You know, I. Look, I am an Xbox first gamer. Okay, Same. I love my Xbox. Uh, I have a PlayStation Four. I uh, I have a PlayStation Four Pro, um, and I think and Zach can attest to this. I have a I have a bookcase, and I have like the entire top shelf is nothing but Xbox games stacked on top of one another. And then on the second shelf, I have just a small little corner that is just like maybe five or six PlayStation games. Um, but I bought Squadrons specifically for PlayStation, so I could play it in VR. Yeah, I don't. I don't play my four nearly as much as I do my one. But I'm looking into other VR type of games because the VR headset I got was gently used off the Facebook Marketplace, and it came with uh, Skyrim for VR. And then I bought Squadrons, and then. I'm I'm looking into getting some other ones because the guy at GameStop told me that the Iron Man game for VR was really good, and so I'm I'm potentially mm. looking into that. And there's a demo for that one that you can download. And then didn't you say there was a Walking Dead VR game that you could play as well? There's I think there's two of them. There's like two Walking different ones. Dead, yeah. Saints and Sinners is amazing. I got that. It's it's like the most realistic survival horror game you'll play. Like you literally stab zombies with knives, and you have to like literally like forcefully pull them out of their skulls as they get jammed in there. Nice. It's, it's really gruesome, man, and it's scary. Like that's another game where I'll be like literally running, like, oh my god, they're about to get me, run! Oh man, oh man, I can't wait for the Jurassic Park version of that. <laughs> I'm getting excited for something that hasn't even happened yet. Um. I have did I did I tell you guys my favorite scene? How, no, how, I, don't how, think so. I don't think how far, so. How far did we get? Okay, I guess I guess it's my favorite scene. I know we're running short on time, so I'm not going to take up too much time talking about it. But um, hurry it up! It's 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 right after they get out of the lab and they're trying to get away from the Indominus, and Bumpy's making noise and it's drawing attention to the Indominus. And they're all like, why did you bring her? Why didn't you leave her? And Ben says, I won't abandon her like we were. And the whole rest of the scene just kind of goes downhill from there. But, like, you you get a sense of Ben's loyalty and you get a sense of his bravery by being able to stand up for something like that. And then Darius's escape tactics as he's trying to get away from the Indominus. He's got this one move where he's like going from box to box and then he like slides under another one and the Indominus is like diving for him and its neck gets stuck on the on the upturned box and it's like inches away from grabbing him and he even flinches thinking that he's about to get eaten and then he doesn't and he gets up and keeps running. 
Like, I feel like that whole chase sequence is one of the most intense in the whole show because I had several instances where I was thinking, oh, this is it for this person. Oh, this is it. Oh, he's going to get caught. Oh, they're not going to get to the truck in time. Oh, he's going to catch up to the truck and it's going to turn over again. Like, I had all of these different anxieties about what could happen. And luckily, nothing did per, you know, traditional escapism Jurassic Park tactics. But the sheer intensity and blood pressure spiking and anxiety from that whole sequence was like to me head and shoulders above a lot of the other sequences in this show right absolutely okay so i'm gonna blend the last question of the evenings because i know we're getting short on time so let's go into final thoughts on this season as a whole and then any hopes or predictions that we might want to make for Season 2. Because we are actually getting Season 2 a year from now before we get Jurassic World Dominion. We're getting a second season of Cretaceous before we get Dominion. I, which I, I still find completely ironic. But I just love the fact that there is a platform available now that we're going to get continuous Jurassic Park type of you know, media for the next two years, which I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about, but yeah, final thoughts and then hopes for season two. Uh, Chris, you go first. Yeah. So my final thoughts for Camp Cretaceous is excellent first season for a show. It really does a great job of world building, especially with creating like a whole nother entity of dinosaur breeding, Agencies or whatever. I forget the name. It, it's something with an M, right? Is it, what's Manticore? Manticore, yes. Yeah, yes. So I, I, yeah. They, they laid the seeds in this first season for, for a big uh, faction, Manticore, while also introducing us to a lot of dinosaurs we haven't seen but have heard of. Uh, new attractions in Jurassic World we've heard of, not really seen in, in, in the entirety. Have a awesome cast of characters that all had unique backgrounds and unique challenges. And they all grew to some extent throughout the course of these eight episodes. I think the music, the, the CGI, the, the animation, everything was pretty good for a, a Netflix streaming show. I feel like it was a, a step up than your, your typical kind of show because it wasn't like just so surface level there was a lot more going on underneath of it with the certain plot lines certain characters uh motivations i liked how the pacing was the pacing was excellent every episode had some really cool set piece there was also a little bit of a slowdown part for more exposition which was which was needed when you have all these new characters locations throughout the park were excellent and it really does make it seem like not everybody is safe. This is Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. After all, mm -hmm. there's going to be some strife. There's going to be some risk involved. And we see that firsthand happen towards the end of the season with Ben. And then they have this awesome cliffhanger where we are going to be introduced to a lot more going on around everything. But, uh, yeah, with that being said, uh, I'll kind of echo what I said in my review on the channel. I got to give it a 9 out of 10. And I think as far as my thoughts for next season, like I kind of mentioned before, I would love to see them maybe explore other islands in the archipelago of Jurassic Park slash world. I would like to see the T-Rex, which uh, Zach, you mentioned, was in the trailer. I didn't even realize that. Looks like we're going to see 
Rexy come. So that's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to all that. That's great stuff, man. That is great stuff. Uh, Steven, how about you? Final thoughts and any predictions for the next season? So I thought that this show was easy to digest and it had some good moments here and there. Um, I get the sense, I'm, I'm not sure why, but I get the sense that this feels like it could be like a two season show. And if that is the case, I hope that it's by design and they have like their own conclusion on their own terms. So uh, I guess season two, I expect to pick up right after season one. And, but if there does end up being a season three, I think it'd be interesting if maybe there's a time skip of sorts. But then again, I don't know if they'd have to change the name of the show or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, the show is enjoyable. Um, I, I know I keep shilling about Fast and Furious Spy Racers, <laughs> but that's kind of the closest thing I can compare it to, seeing it's from DreamWorks. It's on Netflix, so... I definitely prefer Spy Racers, but Camp Cretaceous was definitely enjoyable. And are we doing a score out of 10 right now? Or... Yeah, we can. Okay. Um, so I guess my score out of would be uh, 7.2 out of 10 Jurassic Worlds. Oh, instead of planets. Huh? I see. Yes. <laughs> I, see, I, see, I see what you did there. 7.2. For Steven. Okay. Uh, Mondo, how about you, man? Final thoughts and any hopes for uh, season two? So my final thoughts are this show was incredibly easy to sit down, watch, enjoy. And being fans of Jurassic World and Jurassic Park and knowing some of the lore of the previous films, I think, made it even better. Um, that being said, one of my favorite parts of it is how it's a very colorful show in terms of the, the, the colors and and the sceneries and stuff like that for the yeah. most part. Yeah. But it actually has pretty dark undertones. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that is very stereotypical Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World. And that's one of the things I love the most about it. And I love that we're going into this now. Uh, We're going into a season two. We've talked about it before. These kids, they're on their own. They're they're having to survive. And it's, I mean, they have everything stacked against them. Quite literally, everything possible can be stacked against them. They don't know when, if they're going to be... Uh, People are going to come and try to rescue them. And something I've also thought about, you know, they're going to get back. You know, they're going to get to the the hangar where they're at in Jurassic World, you know, where they, you know, get all the the refugees and the survivors. They're not going to see these kids. So what's going to happen? Are they just going to assume that these kids are still alive on this island? Or are they just going to assume that they're gone? Yeah, true. And and these kids have families that are back home. You know, these kids have someone that people that are expecting them to come home and they're not going to come home. So I kind of hope to an extent 
we get something about that going forward and that storyline, uh, because that is a storyline. That is a huge storyline. And I hope we also get, uh, I hope we get some tie-ins to Fallen Kingdom. Like I said, I mean, uh, it was just said that the, do you think this is going to be a two-season show? I think it will be longer because I agree. I do think this is going to pick up relatively shortly after this season ended, especially with Ben and the way he was twitching, right? Like you almost have to, you've almost got to have one of your first scenes of season two being a continuation of that scene. They, but, pro- they probably could be. But I I feel like if it is going to have tie-ins to Fallen Kingdom, at least for the most part, it would have to it would have to have a third season to give it that extra time for the story to mature and kind of give you time for that time jump. Uh, yeah, but I hope for a couple of seasons on this. Uh, at least I'm really excited about it. Very surprised uh, by how much I did enjoy it. Uh, I will give it an eight point seven five. I'm rounding that up. Okay. Okay, to uh, nine. Eight point eight. If if we're gonna do decimal, okay. if we're gonna do decimal points with Steven, then I'll do decimal points with you. But eight point seven five. Come on, man. Don't be a pain in the ass. <laughs> I I actually thought that would make it easier. I was thinking like a five. <laughs> nah. Yes, my planet score was eight point seven five four three. You know what, Ben? I'm you know just... what, Ben? Our 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 deal from earlier. Is back on in the original, in, in the original thing. You, look, look, Zach loses in this deal. I don't lose anything. So I don't know what you have against me. Zach is the victim here. I, 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 I do nothing. All I do is ask people questions and then they talk for a few minutes and then I pretend that I'm actually in agreement with what they said and then ask the next person a question. Okay. <laughs> that's that's my that's how this works. That that's how this works. If you go back and watch our discussion of the last Jedi, I provide very little original thought. I just piggyback off of everybody else's thoughts and delegate the questions for like four and a half hours. Okay. Like, well, this is your opportunity to talk now. Just say whatever you want to say. Uh, well, I I I will after you say what you want to say. So is it my turn? It is your turn. To give my planet score? It is your okay, turn. Okay, so I'll make it quick so you can talk some more. Mm-hmm. Um, so my overall thoughts on season one is that it's great. I would recommend it to anyone that, that, that enjoys the Jurassic Park movies. I think it, it exceeded my expectations um, and kind of blew me away in a way because you know I wasn't expecting – because I was kind of like – I was kind of with you guys. I was like, oh, this is kind of like a – Star Wars resistance kind of thing. It's going to be kind of kiddie, whatever. No, I think it is kiddie in a way. It is made for kids, but it's still there's enough there to kind of latch onto as an adult that I'm like, okay, this is really, really well done. I think the animation is really good. The the writing's really good, and I think overall it gets the the feel, look feel of the Jurassic Park movies, which I think is something that you that's maybe hard to nail down. Uh, we've seen it done wrong. Cough, cough. Um, uh, what's the name of it? Forgetting. Good job. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just ruined that joke. 
ruined that. Yeah, it's like, we have seen it done wrong before. Zombies. <coughs> uh, Zombies. Uh, Thank you very much. Cough, Zombies. Um, so... It's, it's a it's zoo. A- it's not Jurassic Park. She she literally says that in the movie. I I barely remember. I need to watch it again because that, that's that's hilarious. That is freaking hilarious. Um. Anyway, what I'm trying to say here is that this is very very well done. Well, better than I expected, and I can't wait for season two. And season two, in a nutshell looks really good they've already released the trailer obviously we've all seen it and you know i think i don't know how much they further they can push this obviously you know season two is going to be about their rescue perhaps and they're just gonna be kind of surviving i don't know if they can push this to season three you know because it's gonna be like oh they haven't come for us yet <laughs> so we got another season like what's going to be kind of the story propelled by but i think overall it's uh, going to be pretty darn awesome. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. And finally, they're going to have some Jurassic Park stuff next year, like Zach exactly was saying, so that's great. Um, I will give this season an 8.5 out of 10. You said 8.5? Yes, sir. You, you broke up just a tiny, tiny bit there, so I just want to make sure. Sorry. No, no problem. I'm give, I can repeat that really quick. Don't break I'll up. Give this you one. guys are good together. <laughs> You're breaking up with me. You're going down a path I can't follow. <laughs> An 8.5 out of 10 is my score. All right. All right. Well, here here are a couple of my um, prediction bombs that may end up blowing up in my face. I don't know. Um, season 2. Here, Here's a... Here's a well, here's, here's the first big one that... That I'm going to uh, to give to you. Uh, season two will show the kids somehow being responsible for the volcanic instability of the island. Wow! Whoa! What? Whoa. That would that would be something. It'd be hilarious. Yeah. Somehow they're going to do something that screws up the stability of the island that we end up seeing in Fallen Kingdom that leads to Claire needing to go back and evacuate the island. The ki- Are you saying they're going to, like, drop a bunch of, like, Mentos and Pepsi into the volcano? I'm, <laughs> I'm saying that these kids will get as creative as they possibly can to try and send up a smoke signal or something to call for help, and it's going to backfire and blow up in their face literally and figuratively there will be some sort of big earthquake or something that preludes what could become a volcanic eruption in a year or two whatever it is they do in this season it's going to make the island unstable that's you need to be writing the show (laughs) 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 That is that is my big prediction, and then my other big prediction will be that instability is what causes the kids to leave, and I'm going to piggyback off of Chris's idea of exploring the archipelago, and we will get a third season set on Ila Sorna in which they have to avoid the Spinosaurus. Oh, man, I like that idea. So... Season 2 is survival mode, like Ben says. 
they're going to make the island unstable. They leave it, and they go to Ila Sorna, and the season finale is them arriving on Sorna, so that season three will be about evading the Spino. And maybe they maybe they make it to Isla Sorna just in time for the rescuers to show up on the opposite island. That's exactly what I'm thinking. They leave just as the rescue party arrives. They don't find the kids, and the kids are safe away from the volcanic instability, but they are still not yet rescued. Uh, Sounds good to me. If I if I want to make a far fetch prediction, I'm gonna say one of the kids dies. I was gonna say that. I think I think they already. I feel like Ben like was a commitment to like a death that they just like at the last second said no. Nah, okay, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like the intensity and the realness of it is still there. It's mm-hmm. just that they undid it at the end. I so feel like they could I, still kill a kid. At the I, end of this. I feel I feel like now that they have set the precedent for the intensity and the implication that the kids are not safe, like they have let you know with Ben's capture and near death experience that not even the stars of this show are safe. So I'm going to say that someone in season two does not make it off the island alive. What if none of them make it? What if their rescuers never come? Oh, man, that would be... I don't think they're going to die on the show unless there's a time skip to, like, a few years later and they're, like, older. Who knows? Who knows? That, like, that, 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 like I said, that is one of my far-out predictions. I really feel like the volcanic instability is going to happen. Like, there's just something in my gut that says that... that this this whole idea of the island has been fine for decades, and now a couple of years removed from the incident, it's unstable. There has to be something that happens, and the only factor that we can account for right now is the fact that there were kids left behind. Kids screw things up. I think they're going to screw up the island to the point that it's beyond reconciliation. So you got volcanic instability in your gut? Yeah, I do, and it's not. It's and it's not from the burrito I had for lunch. Oh, I can't say the same. <laughs> uh, but my final thoughts on the season: very watchable, very bingeable, very enjoyable, very intense. Good writing, good characters, good use of other dinosaurs, good breaking from the tropes that we are used to in Jurassic Park movies while also still feeling very much in the vein of traditional Jurassic Park. It's attainable for kids and adults alike, which is a very, very tough line to to tread lightly on, and yet they do it uh, better than most, in my opinion. And I really, really enjoyed it, and I'm excited for whatever season two may hold. So for this season, I'm also giving it a 9.0 out of 10. Nice. Okay, well, I don't know if I really want to ask you guys how you would want to barbecue Dino or not. Like, <laughs> uh, Quick question. Did we get Chris's score? Yes, he gave it a 9, didn't you, Chris? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a 7.2 from Steven, a 9 from Chris, an 8.8 from Mondo, an 8.5 from Ben, and a 9 from me. 
So I'm tallying that up now. That's 42.5 out of a possible 50 points for an aggregated host score of right at 85%. Nice. So Very good. I think, I think that's fair. Um, this will just be an abbreviated barbecue segment because we really are crunched for time, but I feel like we got a really good discussion in anyway. So if you guys were to barbecue a dinosaur, which one would you barbecue and why? Oh, that's easy. Uh, I would barbecue Bumpy. I was uh, thinking the same. Heck no, I would not I, do that to Bumpy. I feel like his size would make him the most tender and juicy. Uh-huh. Um, and I would maybe, you know, I would maybe go with, and I also feel like his shell would also provide um, some some cool stuff you can do with that. And I think I would probably go with like maybe like a like a lemon mesquite sort of dry rub for for the little guy. You're getting really specific. This um, is getting this is getting creepy. And what, <laughs> and what I think I would also do is, you know, I think I would use instead of using a smoker, I would actually probably use like an open, uh, like a charcoal grill. Uh, some or something like that, maybe with some mesquite wood chips instead of charcoal. I'm kind of give it that extra that extra flavor, uh, but you you don't want to overcook it, right? Because you don't want them to get gamey. Uh, so that's how I would do that. See the the red on the Carnotaurus reminds me of a good red grilled steak with like some black on it. So I guess like I I would just go for that just for that like surface level reason. Um, beyond that, I don't have like as much detail as like you do. <laughs> I was thinking like barbecued compi, kind of the way you do like wings. You know how like chicken wings kind of look like the miniature mm-hmm. drumsticks. Uh, I I would do like compi legs, like you do frog legs. I yeah, probably one of the better yeah. options. I don't know. Or yeah, or talking or prep the mosasaurus the way you would a uh, slow cooked fish. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Would you know? Would you, if you if you got a mosasaur, like would it taste seafood esque? Would it taste fishy? I would think so. Swordfish. I oh. bet you it tastes like swordfish. Interesting. Have you ever had swordfish? I've never had swordfish. Oh, you gotta get it. You gotta put it on the grill with a good marinade, like. <laughs> It, it it really tastes good, man. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Either that or it'll taste like Mako Shark, which is also very similar to Swordfish. See, I'm not I'm, I'm not much of a seafood guy, so I really I, I know I tossed the idea out there, but I really would not know how to actually prepare <laughs> it myself. See, going back to Stumpy though, I wonder if like different portions of him would cook differently. Like, you know, like someone just mentioned well, I mean, steak, right? I mean, like different yeah, parts beef, of a cow. Beef cooks differently depending on, on the tenderloin, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, like, if you can get, like, a nice, like, stumpy T-bone, you know? Like, <sighs> that would be pretty good. You know, maybe put some some salt and pepper on there with some some garlic and maybe a little bit of butter. Oh, my God. That sounds delicious. See, this is, this, is the, this is the worst time to do this segment ben we really should have like 
reconsidered back at episode 300 when we would do the barbecue segment because we always end up getting hungry at the end of the show because we're well, talking. Well, I mean, we did like one or two episodes where we did the the episodes backwards. Yeah. We did like barbecue watch first. Okay. I kind of like that. Okay. So maybe we need to bring it back. Okay. I did not know that this was a thing, but apparently we borrowed that trope from Seinfeld. I, I, I mean, maybe I did subconsciously. It wasn't intentional on my there part. There was a whole episode of Seinfeld where they basically did all of the sequences in reverse. And it was, it was the, the scene, the, the episode where they're in India and then they're coming home from India and everything is like backwards from that. And I'm like, all of this is really good, but it's happening in the wrong direction and I'm having a hard time keeping up. <laughs> See, Steven, another episode of Seinfeld we did not mention. That's a great episode. <laughs> like the best scene is like the one at the end, which is actually like chronologically the first scene to happen, which is where uh, Kramer meets Jerry for the first time. And he even calls him Kessler um, as a reference to like when he called him that in the in the very first episode of the Seinfeld Chronicles, because, like, that was before they settled on calling him Kramer. So I right. love that scene. And he's like, what's mine is yours. And he's like, really? And that's why he's always, like, getting food from Jerry's place. Yep. Yep. Man, that's a great show. It's Jerry's. I keep going with it. Like, they start at the, at the beginning of the episode, then keep going, and then it's, like, 12 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, What? Yeah, very discombobulating, but that's the beauty of the show. I've only got two episodes left. My binge is almost complete. So Wow. Yeah, now I'm going to move on to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Very interesting. Okay, well, we've, we've been... I think we've been, we're about <laughs> done here. We've been at this for a like while. One it's 12 a.m. where I am. I know it's 1 a.m. for some of you. Um, so, yeah, we've been at this for a while, and uh, some of us are probably falling asleep already if if we're not about to. So right. uh, maybe we just need to wrap this show up. Probably should, but a big thank you to everybody that uh, was able to make it this evening. I know our friend Dan Grievous uh, is probably going to send us a voicemail. If you haven't heard it already, you're going to. He had originally agreed to be on the program, but he was staying up till all hours of the night to be able to make it, and he, I think he just ended up falling asleep. <laughs> so there will, there will be something either in the in the the break or something tacked on to the end here um, from Dan Grievous. Yeah, so, so uh, you yeah, you will yeah, definitely look out for that. You will have heard from him by the end of this episode in some way, shape, or form because we definitely wanted him to be a part of this uh, of this adventure. And we're so grateful to everybody else that joined us on this adventure, starting with the Star Raptor himself. Chris, thanks for taking time out of your day and into your night and into early the next morning to be a part of this discussion. We appreciate it. Where can the folks keep up with you outside of this program? Oh, yeah, Zach, it was awesome. This might have been the first podcast that I've ever talked about Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World on. So it's been a long time coming, considering it's one of my favorite um fandoms are one of the first things i was really into when it comes to movies so long time coming but it was uh, it was great experience talking and all things Jurassic world camp cretaceous and and maybe it won't be the last we'll see can't wait for season two um but yeah so you guys can follow me on youtube that is my primary place that i'm posting content that's youtube.com slash star raptor i do a lot of star wars content over there we mentioned star wars squadrons i put my 
entire walkthrough is going up every day. I put up a new episode, so definitely look out for that if you want some Squadrons content. Um, besides YouTube, you can also follow what I'm doing on Twitter, and that's simply at StarRaptor. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Mondo, I know you're not really on social media a whole, whole lot, but uh, maybe folks can add your gamer tag and play some Xbox games with you or something? Yeah, of course. You know, that is always what I am probably doing outside of other things. Um, but my my gamer handle is Mondo242008, uh, M-O-N-D-O-2420-08. Uh, it is the same on PlayStation and Xbox and even uh, Nintendo Switch, I believe. Uh, so uh, that is just something that I have that I keep the same. So regardless of what you have, send me a message, send me an ad. And uh, if you see me playing something that you're into or that you enjoy, uh, don't don't be shy. You know, hit me up. Let's play something. Uh, I'm always down to play a new game or two and Thank you, Star Raptor. I just got your invite. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so magic! That was that was that was that was quicker than I can't say, but that was quick. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was that was quicker. Hey, than, was, that was quicker than your quote-unquote lunch breaks. Go, all right. Just yeah, like how the kids in Camp Cretaceous had to stick together. Mm-hmm. They're going to stick together real nice inside of a dinosaur after they get eaten. <laughs> oh, boy. A little bit of a hot take there. All right. Uh, Steven, thanks for filling in for me when I've been absent, and thanks for joining us tonight. Where can the folks keep up with you? Oh, it's been a pleasure being on the show and doing all that. And yeah, talking about this and looking forward to whenever season two comes out. Uh, people can follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter. Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. I also have a fantasy horror comedy novel called Lemons Loom Like Rain, which is on Amazon. More info on that at stevenschinder.com. I've also been writing and editing for Culture Slate. They are at Culture Slate pretty much everywhere. And you should also subscribe to the Culture Slate YouTube channel because that's where we've launched uh, Star Trek culture. It's me and Liana Ahmed talking week to week each Friday. A new video goes up talking about each new episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. And you can also find that at channel1138.com slash Star Trek culture. And while you're there, go to channel1138.com slash delayed replay to access the whole delayed replay canon, I guess. Um, I talk about movies and other things that were supposed to be released and then got delayed and talk about them with different friends uh, pretending that like we saw or read or played them and like making stuff up on the spot um let's see i don't know when this uh camp cretaceous episode is coming out so i'll mention a few um morbius i did that with novelist greg cox lots of comic book talk on that one venom let there be carnage excuse me let me try that again venom let there be carnage with Mark Herleman from Stores Beyond the Films. That was fun. 
And I had him as well as Chris on the Star Wars The High Republic Into the Dark episode, which we recorded right before this roundtable discussion, actually. Um, also doing, also going to do Halloween Kills with Sean and then Marvel's Eternals. So, yeah, check those out. Well, and you and I just did a uh, Bob's Burgers movie not too long ago as well, and that was a lot of fun. So. Yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> always always a good time hanging out in the delayed replay alternate universe. And uh, to keep up yep. with what's going on in the IPC universe, follow us on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or on our personals at Zach the Voice or Zach.TheVoice, depending on where you're going. And Ben Hart with no E, just spell that out phonetically. Find the RIPC on Phantom Empire and listen to previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and StarWarsUnderworld.com. Swag is available for purchase now at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast, teepublic.com. And you can find our entire library and our patron system available at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Ben, I didn't mean to steal your thunder, but I'm literally about to fall asleep, dude, and I am ready to call it a night unless you have any other final thoughts. No, I really don't need to say anything else because, uh, yeah, this has been fun. This has been such a blast to meet with you guys, talk about something I think we all really enjoyed, and, uh, you know, doesn't get much better than this podcasting with their buddies talking about something awesome so uh i'm glad to have all you guys back especially you zach and uh don't know what next week's gonna bring but uh, this has been awesome and i'm gonna stop talking now so we can all go to bed it is time for bed time to put this episode to bed and then myself about 10 minutes after that so that's gonna do it for episode 306 of the intergalactic peace coalition podcast thank you to everyone who tuned in and everyone who participated for Mondo and Steven and Chris and Ben, my name is Zach. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in to next time's episode. But until that time comes around, we're just going to leave you with this final thought. You hold on to friends by keeping your heart a little softer than your head. And we hope to see all of you friends next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
<laughs> I'm pretty sure when you get Mondo on a podcast, he's pretty normal until you say, I'm hitting the record button. Then he's like, I'm going to let loose now. This is my time to shine. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're, you're not wrong. The last IPC episode that we did with Mondo on, he did it with a luchador mask on, and we weren't even doing video recording. 